Stardate 46001.3 We have followed a bunch of phased aliens through time to the 19th century, where we are hoping to rendezvous with the lost Commander Data. Ah, hello, cadets, and welcome back to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, your weekly trip into the final frontier. Uh, I am your host, Mike. Uh, I am hosting solo this week. Um, my usual co-host, DK, is uh, otherwise indisposed and, frankly, having a well-deserved week off. I think it's the only one he's got this series. Um, but fear not, I am joined by two guests, despite only having one thing on screen. Um and that is, you may well know them already. They've been on this podcast and the silver screen before. Uh, I am joined by Andy and Phil from the We Pay For Your Floor podcast. Hello, chaps. Hello. Hello. Awesome stuff. Hello. And uh, yeah, we are going to be talking about the episode, as you'll see on your screen, Time's Arrow. That's both parts uh, of the next generation because, you know, we are currently in a time travel series if you didn't know that so we had to pick a time travel themed episode and i had i also picked an episode that i know would have things they like such as the anatroy and gynan quite i was gonna say you, man, man, i like when you first pitched doing this episode to us your selling point was just so you know it's a gynan episode and i was like okay yeah you, you very much <laughs> geared it to andy's interests is that okay, <laughs> yep that'll get him on board <laughs> That'll get him. <laughs> yeah, Whoopi Goldberg's great in the show anyway, but we'll get to that. So yeah, that will be the review. Uh, but we do have all of our usual sections before that. Um, and so uh, without any further ado, we're going to jump straight into the first section, uh, which is just a little bit of a chat and a bit of a catch up, uh, which I like to call Healing Frequencies Open. Healing Frequencies Open, sir. We were briefly chatting off uh, off air about um, my distaste for the the end of Picard season two because uh, the Bill artistic masterpiece it. that is, <laughs> and we will get into a, probably a discussion of that at some point because it does feed into this episode in a way um, that'll be fun. <laughs> but other than uh, other than Picard season two, which only one of you has watched, I assume. Uh, have yeah, you that, been watching any be a moment or... where um, we Sorry. just go on a rant and Andy is just sort of sat there completely confused <laughs> for a good half hour. It'll be fun. Well, there you go. So, have you watched any more Star Trek uh, between the two of you, other than uh, than that one, or not? Um... We actually did, uh, like a few weeks ago. We did binge through a lot more of season two, season two or three. Which one are we up to? I can't remember which one we're on. We're up to series four. Are we of next year? Of next of generation? Next yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I think we're, we're a fair way through it. Yeah, we, we've we've watched a few of that. I've I've been wanting to go back and watch all the Star Trek movies, but I want to do it with him. So I've been right. putting that off and putting it off because oh. I want to you know, not yeah. be in the tricky situation of watching something and then you come in halfway through and be like, "What's all this?" Is that 
I'll explain later. You know, it takes a lot to convince me to watch a film because it's too much of a time commitment that I could spend doing anything else. In that case, do not do not start with the first movie, then just go straight to two. Yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna skip the motion picture. Generally, the odd numbered ones are not so good, and the even numbered ones are okay. Okay, I've never really subscribed to that. I find that the worst ones for me are one, five, ten, and twelve, just randomly. But yeah, I did not realize there were that many. Oh yeah, there are thirteen there's, now. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a few. Which ones the one where Benedict Cumberbatch is? Oh, sorry, That's... sorry. Um, what did I call him the other day? Bramble Belt Snatch of something. I can't remember what I called him. <laughs> something stupid. Benedict Cumberbund plays Khan <laughs> in the Star Trek Into Darkness. It is Khan. Yeah. Yeah. What are you on about? Oh, he yeah. doesn't play. Khan. Do you not like that one? Oh no, one? sorry. He plays. He plays John Harrison, and we were all totally foiled by J.J. Abrams, and not one of us realized it was clearly Khan. Yeah. <laughs> was it was it a bad one? It was just crap. <laughs> so, uh, if you haven't listened, by the way, to the We Pay For Your Flow podcast, please do. Not least because I'm on three fantastic episodes that not enough people have watched the, slash listened the, to. The final of which is coming out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, the final of which is... Uh, as of recording. Yeah, as of recording. As of recording, yeah. It'll, yeah. It will be out by the time this goes up. It'll have been out a few weeks. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's a great... And if you haven't checked it out, do check out obviously the Silver Screen podcast generally, but the episode I did with Andy, Phil, and their co-host Sarah, uh, where we reviewed Chicago, was, I think, one of our best Silver Screen eps as well. So, And we play a game on that that we then follow through into the We Pay For Your Floor podcast. So yes, it's all good. Th- th- those, um, those games are wonderful. Again, thank you so much for putting those together. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. This is the kind of stuff that I would just do for fun, to be perfectly honest. It kind of seems like we pay for... It's one of those things that people come on and then we just end up breezing through a few episodes because people don't realise how much time has passed. Yeah, what's well, fun, man. I, I really enjoyed it and I think more people should listen to it because it's some fun games and stuff. But uh, anyway... I, I mean, if, uh, you've, if you've got anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes of your day to waste with nothing nothing better planned at all... <laughs> I mean, you, seriously, you've scooped the bottom of the barrel... You've fed the cat, you've watered the fish. Um, and yeah, sure, g- give our podcast a listen if you're really that desperate that's, for entertainment. That's a very, that, you're very, um, you know, self deprecating there. I think it's very good. It's, <laughs> no, I was uh, I was trying to think how I would try to sell it to people. And I was like, do you know what it reminds me of is when there was a heyday in the late 90s of those just kind of fun shows like TFI Friday or even like yeah. the Big Breakfast in the Morning that were just knockabout fun and didn't have any deeper meaning to them and i was like yeah i miss you don't really get shows like that like we're the celebrity juice of podcasts except we don't have the annoyingness of keith levin thank god for that (laughs) i i very much like how you described it um a few episodes ago or at least of me as being um like some sort of uh yes i remember i think and bob yeah you were the natural successor to vic and bob yeah i I will definitely take (laughs) that Again, things like Big Night Out and Shooting Stars and stuff from the 90s that you just don't get anymore, but it was just nonsense and it was fun and funny, you know? Yeah. Where are the TV companies? Get on it. But anyway, that's just a bit of a digress. Bob's just... just I, I like to think Bob Moss for literally his entire life now just finding, like ridiculous things to do so he can take it to would i lie to you <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that because he's great on that every time as well i don't yep. think he even goes out of his way he just he's walking down the street and stuff just happens bringing us back on track to star trek as we had you mentioned the star trek movies phil because you could have taken andy to the cinema to see the first two uh which i did do recently if you've been on the channel you'll see i have many reviews up of the motion picture director's edition and wrath of khan director's cut um, very good stuff. 
No, I, I do definitely recommend watching Do the Trek movies, especially, like I said, maybe if it's your first time, skip one until you've gotten more into it. But Wrath of Khan is just, that's perfection. It's one of the best sci-fi movies, period, let alone Star Trek. Um, so everyone should watch it. But anyway, and you get to so, see Michelle Nichols doing her, her lovely little dance. That's in Star Trek Five, which again oh, is five. one of the ones. You sh- yeah, you should probably avoid that. <laughs> first does, time she, does she at least look fabulous? Though? My my of timeline course. is way out of whack. Thank you. I really thought that was Rathacon. Why something. did you think she did that in Wrath of Khan? I do For some reason, do I you not remember, I remember the part of Rathacon where they defeated him with the dance battle? <laughs> If only Guardians of the Galaxy. The Guardians, the like, it was it was Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> oh, that was a terrible pun. On that, that was the point. <laughs> so, but uh, no, seriously though. Um, so you guys have worked your way. You haven't gotten very much further through next gen because last time you were on here, we reviewed yesterday's Enterprise, which I think you just about got to. Yeah, we literally. I think we'd literally watched it two weeks before you asked if you wanted to do that episode, and I was like, yeah, I like that one. <laughs> Yeah, that's weirdly enough, that would have been another possibility for time travel if we hadn't already done it. But, yeah, you know, go back and watch it if you if you haven't. So, uh, yeah, now that I know you haven't even gotten past season four, I'm gonna have to alter one of my hit or misses for the day because it's in season five episode, which you won't have seen. So, well, well Andy won't have. Yeah, Andy, yeah, no idea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, but look forward to it. Uh, I'm not going to bring it up, but you know, you can look forward to the fact that there's a good episode in season five and Frasier's in it for five minutes. So Phil knows what I'm talking about, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm giving nothing away. Okay. Oh, Is he going to be like a. Uh... Hmm? What's. They're not. What? No, they're not called Q. That's James Bond. Who? No, there is a Q. Yeah, Q is the, the, the Picard Who? sort of master character. He's like the master to Picard's doctor. Sure. Okay. That's the best way I can right. describe. That is Q. Oh, okay. That is what I'm thinking I, I thought so you meant like a pet and owner situation. I was like, <laughs> <"What?"> <laughs> <laughs> Next section, if you're not familiar with, uh, will be the hit or miss section. What about my performance? I'm not a drama critic. Uh, and just to clarify for any new viewers or anybody who's unfamiliar, what this is, is I have come up with a list of five items. Uh, we're only going to stick to five because it's a two-part episode that we're reviewing. Uh, Andy and Phil have no idea what these things are, so it'll be a, a fresh response for them, basically. Uh, and we are going to basically ask them whether they think these things are a hit or a miss. Then I give my opinion. We debate back and forth if necessary and come up to a consensus and then move on to the next thing. So uh, if you're ready, then I'm going to move on to the first thing in the hit or miss section. Uh, and that is going to be uh, Catherine Pulaski. Uh, is she a hit oh, or a miss? Oh, she's a definite hit. I, I love um, Pulaski. Pulaski. Uh, can't talk. Pulaski. That's Pulaski. the one. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wish she'd stayed on after series two. Yeah, it's kind of weird, the politics of that, how they basically fired Gates McFadden, then hired her back <laughs> yeah. at, the, end, uh, at so... the start of season three, and it was like, oof, very weird. <laughs> so... What what was the story behind that? Wasn't wasn't there I... like an issue behind the scenes or something? It was a behind the scenes thing where I think she it's only recently come come out because she's done like documentaries and stuff that she made, and it seems like the story is that one of the producers just clashed with her, and uh, she was kind of like, well what are you going to do? You're not going to fire your main talent. And he was like, I'm a producer, honey. I've got the power here. And then fired her. Um, and then yeah. by the start of season three, a new producer had come in because she was proven right. And this 
jerk had been kicked out of the role and was like, Gates, do you want to come back? <laughs> so, so yeah, it was it's just weird. In universe, it was that she went to run Starfleet Medical for a year, but it, it's just very poorly yes, handled, it, I think. I heard something about apparently Pulaski just wasn't very well received. I really liked her. There was, there's controversy about what happened, and we don't know because Diana Muldor, who plays Pulaski, just refuses to talk about it. So presumably some potential nastiness or something might have happened, which I kind of hope not, but there's there's a history, unfortunately, of like some particularly actresses uh, coming into Star Trek and getting a little bit harassed and stuff. So uh, if that happened, it's a bit tragic and a bit horrible. But she was never, as far as I'm aware, intended to stay on that long because she's never in the main credits. She's always just a special guest star throughout season two. So... Good, I don't yeah, know whether is, the plan she? was, yeah. I don't know if the plan was just to replace her with somebody else, or that's when they were like, well, get Gates back in, or whatever. Or maybe they were just going to have her as a special guest star throughout the show if it went forward. But for whatever reason, she's only in it that one season. But oh, she's a good actress. I mean, she was in uh, she was in two episodes of the original series as completely different characters as well. <laughs> so, yeah. Maybe each season have a, just a rotating chief medical officer. Well, that's what they were started off doing in Next Gen with the chief engineer, as I'm sure you'll have noticed, because... It's like mid-season two, I think, possibly. I'm probably going to get that wrong and get <laughs> crucified by Trekkies. But it's like mid-season two, I think, when Geordie becomes chief engineer. And in the first season, it's just a different one every week. Like, <laughs> it's a, a heavy-set Scottish guy. Then it's just a random Chinese dude. Then it's a woman, some short, curly-haired woman. And it's like, who is the chief engineer of this bloody ship? <laughs> yeah, so, they, they, they go through them so quickly. <laughs> yeah, they're like Spinal Tap drummers. They just keep combusting and just randomly <laughs> dying. I like Pulaski. I do think I prefer Crusher, but I did like Pulaski. So I'd say she's a she's a hit. Awesome. And what about you, Phil? And what appealed uh, to you specifically about uh, about Pulaski? Um, I well, one of the things that they're, they're, they're there. I can't You've use heard the words. Don't you start? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this is going to sound odd, but I, I felt like she was a, a fairly decently developed character. Um, oh yeah, I think so. I particularly liked, um, and forgive me, I can't remember the name of the episode, but they focused around her, um, her hatred of the transporter and how much she like she mm. absolutely despised using that, and yeah, uh, that was actually sort of woven into uh, into stories because uh, yes, they, they had That's to true. use that to to save her. Yeah. That brings me to my point, which is that the thing about Pulaski, which I think people, it's surprising to me that most more people don't realize this, is that she's just a, a gender-switched carbon copy of Dr. McCoy from the original yeah. series. Like, it's clear that's what they were trying to do. Like, she's got that southern, grumpy, crotchety, but heart of gold. She doesn't want to use the transporter. Um, she's stubborn when she wants to be. She kind of treats Data the same way that McCoy treats Spock with a kind of like, Oh, it doesn't matter what yes. your name really is, man. You know, <laughs> kind of thing. So, um, but she is a good cat. I think she's developed quite well. I love her relationship with Worf because it's just so unexpected that she knows all about these Klingon ceremonies and stuff, and like gives herself injections so she can drink the poison tea and stuff. So, I think it's it's a shame we don't see more of her and that she hasn't only appeared in that one season of the show because I think she was quite well developed and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, especially yeah, for anyway. as as you say, what was classed as a, a guest starring character. Yeah. Um, she, she, she got a, a decent amount of screen time and really, for, for only being in one series, a lot of development and I just wish she'd had more time. Yeah, it's a shame. As I say, there's pre presumably reasons why she won't come back to Star Trek after doing three distinct roles uh, of <laughs> yeah. but um, it's a shame we haven't had a chance considering all the content there's been since then. And especially with um, the third season of Picard, 
uh, being like a big next gen reunion, it's going to be a shame not to have found a place to have a at least a cameo or something, you know. But anyway, <laughs> I'm sure uh, she probably wouldn't want to. Andy, what about uh, you? What, what did you particularly like about Captain Who? Captain oh. about Doctor Pulaski? Captain Pulaski, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Give her the recognition she deserves. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I I just I just liked her. I, I just. I don't even really know how to describe it. I just thought she would. She just. I just liked her. I like you said. I did quite like her unexpected relationship with Wolf. Was quite cool. Yeah. Um, and she just. She just seemed good at her job. Uh, and yes. I like. I do like how much development they gave her, despite the fact that she was only there for one season. Yeah, I love the fact that she. It's one of those things that sticks in your brain. That's just a random line in an episode. But I love the one time when she's like, um, "Oh, it seems like you have some kind of cold. I prescribe PCS," thinking it's some kind of like complicated drug and it's like Pulaski's chicken soup that's what you can eat <laughs> see it's just it's that down home charm isn't it that you just love but uh, yeah bottom line I personally say hit uh, what about you two De definitely hit. awesome awesome right well uh, so that's a resounding hit for Dr. Pulaski going to move to number two number two i've had to alter on the fly because it was going to be a season five episode but i had a season two episode as backup just in case uh so hit or miss the episode time squared and if the picture doesn't uh, jog any memories it's the episode in oh. season two where a shuttle arrives and has a duplicate of picard on board yeah and yeah, we have two picards one. for a while so um would you say that episode is a hit or a miss um <laughs> uh, andy from what I remember, it was it was fine. I I, I remember. <laughs> oh, sorry, not close enough to the mic. No, from what I remember, I I enjoyed it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, it's one of those that doesn't stick in the memory very much because I'm struggling. Like I know Trek really well, and I'm struggling to remember much about what happened, except that I think I was kind of frustrated at the resolution because it painted itself into a corner. With like, well, it can't possibly be what it's like. Oh, it's gonna have to happen because it's a time loop, and then it just doesn't at the end, and you're like, well, that's anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Any, uh, any stronger um, memories, Phil? <laughs> uh, not really. And I watched this one again not too long ago, maybe just a, a couple of months ago, because it was yeah. just, I think it was at your parents and you'd all gone out and I just put Star Trek on uh, just as something to watch. Oh, on. yeah, I remember you doing uh, that. And this was one of the episodes that came on. And I just thought, okay, this one's all right from what I remember. And then yeah. as it went on, I was like, wait a minute, how does this end? What the, and yeah. I'm trying to think now. I can't remember how, how it resolves itself because it, it just yeah. it just doesn't. From what it's I a total yeah, it's a total Deus Ex Machina. It's kind of like well, it it goes to lengths as I recall to explain like well, the only way he could be here is if he's off this sort of destroyed ship or whatever, and so it has to happen otherwise he wouldn't be here. But then he warns them what to avoid, and so he just disappears back to the future style. And it's like oh, it turns out we could have just done that the whole time. It's like, well, that yeah. was ridiculous, wasn't it, really? It just renders it pointless. There's some interesting stuff between just Picard being grumpy at his past self, especially as he struggles to, like, um, adjust to our time or whatever, because I don't think he can, like, he's talking out of sync or something at first, the duplicate, if I recall correctly. And uh, yes. Picard's just self-hatred is just so apparent <laughs> throughout that episode. But, um, yeah. yeah not, two Picards not... in one room is uh, it's not an easy time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We'll just uh, end with the bottom line then, uh, and we'll go to you first, Andy. Uh, hit or miss? Uh, again, like you kind of summarised my sort of thoughts. I just, I remember watching it. I couldn't really tell you what really happened, so prob probably just like a, a, a 
Do we not have a middle ground, do we? Just like a soft mist, maybe? Soft mist. Like, it's not it's not good enough to like remember very vividly. Yeah, it's that's the thing. It's not even egregiously bad, which would make it memorable. It's just kind of a nothing burger, isn't it, really? But uh, yeah, what about you, Phil? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going the same way. The, the thing I like the most for it is getting to see Jean-Luc interacting mm. with Jean-Luc. Um, that, that's got some, some interesting moments, uh, some yeah. kind of funny moments. Um, yes. But no, it, it's a miss because I just I don't remember it. It's it's yeah. it's it's one of those where as soon as the credit rolls, that's is that it's gone because <laughs> it well, is that, kind of that, that was a, that was an occurrence that was something that happened. Yeah. What's next? Yeah. It's not uh, not a memorable episode. It's not anything that's ever going to be brought up again in the show. So yeah, for all the reasons I've said, I'll also go soft miss. I think on uh, time squared. But, uh, yeah. So when you get to season five, Andy, look out for the episode cause and effect. And uh, maybe next time when you're on, we'll get talking about that because that would would have been the second thing in the list. But uh, there we go. Um, but yeah, I wanted to have a time travel next gen story because this being the time travel series and trying to think of something that we hadn't covered since we've reviewed yesterday's Enterprise, I came up with Time Squared, but not great. So um, the third thing on the list for today then is a ship design. Uh, so hit or miss the Romulan Warbird once it loads. Ooh. There we go. <laughs> And we'll go to you first. Right, come on. The, that, that is... I, I, I'm biased because it's green, and green is the best colour. <laughs> as much as it can be, that is a sexy ship. <laughs> that, is a, that is a thing of beauty. I, I, I love the Romulan Warbirds. It just it looks so cool. Yeah, it's, it's weird, but it's cool, I, I guess. I'm, uh, I'm always confused by the negative space it just seems like a really poor idea for a design <laughs> in the middle there yeah it's, yeah, it's, a bit, it's just it's a, a big gaping hole it's i remember there's um one of william shatner's books that he was like spinning off out of star trek generations back when he was writing he has a scene where the defiant because it's such a small ship literally destroys a romulan woman by flying into the little negative space and just turning <laughs> just, <laughs> it just rips it apart and blows it up i'm like yeah that's a bit of a technical weakness when you think about it really isn't it especially for a ship whose power Source as a miniature black hole. It just seems a bit weird. But, uh, don't, what about don't you? Don't worry Andy? about it. It's fine. Don't worry yeah, about it. I think it, it looks cool. You basically, again, you kind of said what I thought. Like the negative space in the middle is just kind of pointless. But apart from that, it does look pretty cool. It's no base star from Galactica, but it does look cool. <laughs> you are obsessed now, aren't you? I am very you obsessed. You found a new thing and you're not letting yes. it go. <laughs> Hmm. No, it, does, it looks no, cool. I, I like it. Def definitely a hit. It, it is a cool design. I like uh, how they picked a new way to make it look like a bird that doesn't resemble like any of the previous bird of prey from the Klingons or Romulans and stuff. So, yeah. you know, it, there is a bit of a beak at the front and there is obviously the wings, which is why you ended up with that negative space. Um, but yeah, it is a, it, it's a sexy design. I'll give it, <laughs> like I said. But uh, yeah, there's something about the warbird that I think is probably my favorite of the Romulan ships as well. Um and I, I can't put my finger on it either because I don't particularly like green. <laughs> and uh, part of it, I think, is the size as well, mind you, because when there's like three of them dwarfing a galaxy class ship in next gen, you're just like, oh, that thing yeah, is a bit powerful. Right. <laughs> I remember playing, um, I can't remember which game it was. I think it was, oh, I, I can't remember. It doesn't matter of the name. But there was a, a, a Star Trek game where you would go through the ages commanding the different eras of Enterprise. And wow. when I came up against. Uh, just a, a couple of them was just, okay 
that's cool. <laughs> but things have just yeah. got serious. <laughs> Shit just got real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, uh, Andy, Romulan Warbird, hit or miss? Yeah, hit. Awesome, awesome. And Phil? Uh, definite hit. Awesome stuff, and I would say strong hit as well. I just think it's great, and uh, yeah, I don't, I didn't particularly love the redesign they brought out in Nemesis. If anybody remembers that, because they made it a bit too sleek and a bit too, yeah, it it lost a bit of the charm for me. And the ones in Star Trek Picard just look odd. <laughs> I don't, I can't put my finger on why, but maybe it's because I miss the Warbirds so dang much. <laughs> but yeah, the fourth thing out of five, anyway, for the hit or miss today. Um, is a group of aliens from the next generation, and not that you'll know it, but they are strongly featured in lower decks as well. So hit or miss to the Packleds. <laughs> and do you remember them first? Oh, um, I, I'm 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 just going straight in and giving them a miss because that guy in particular annoyed me. Oh, but Phil, they look for things. He I looks like he's about to care. drop a massive dump out of that forehead. <laughs> that's hair as well i think so it's even weirder like i think those are just huge bizarre placed eyebrows but, i will <laughs> i will always love star trek's ability to make alien races by just giving human people random bumps on their faces random bumps <laughs> and different eyebrows yeah yeah absolutely. we do a lot with the eyebrows but, uh, so you are not a fan of them looking for things to make them go in that case, then? <laughs> uh, no, unless it's making them go far, far away. <laughs> if uh, if any of the audience are listening and aren't 100% sure about the packleds, if you're not a lower decks viewer particularly, uh, they are in one episode of The Next Generation called Samaritan Snare in the second season, where uh, basically they appear to be incredibly dumb, um, because they kind of are. But in the end, they've kind of tricked the Enterprise, so they end up uh, stealing Geordie LaForge. And it turns out that, obviously, that's the title of the episode, is because they made it look like they were weak and needed help. But it turns out they just scavenge parts from people who oh, take them. Oh, and... no, yeah, I do remember this one now. Yeah, uh, these guys yeah, are fucking annoying. But in the end, they are so stupid that the Enterprise just releases a random cloud of coloured plasma and Geordie LaForge, I just remember, on their bridge is like, oh no, they used their crimson force field! They've blocked all our systems! And they're like, oh, can you fix? We, we need go! <laughs> so they, so, <laughs> these guys are just... No. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, as I said, it's weird because they were intended as a joke in that next-gen episode, and you can tell. And Lower Dex just takes that and runs with it. So it actually has these joke characters that it makes into a legit threat, and they are like the main... Ongoing antagonists in Lower Decks, so they come up quite a lot, well, but I've, they're still. I've just, I've just looked them up in Lower Decks, and I've come across a picture of the Packlid Queen. Yes. Yeah. Can I see? It's so weird. They, oh, she I... looks delightful. <laughs> it's nice it's... to see that Mary Berry's doing well. <laughs> I was going to say she looks like my um my, my secondary school physics teacher. <laughs> Oh, no, it, I'm sorry, it's Cher. It's Cher? In the whole world is that Cher? Whoa! <laughs> but yeah, so I, I personally, because I like what's been done with them in Lower Decks, would say hit. Um, but you guys only have the one episode to go off. So I'm curious if you have any more thoughts on what you would ultimately yes, say. they were very annoying. Um, <laughs> I'm torn. Uh, no, Just like Natalie not. Umbrulia? Yes, just, just like... Yes. Um, no, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm probably going to get that joke, but I liked it. Um, no, I'm, Just I'm gonna don't say... be lying naked on the floor, whatever you do. 
I'm gonna say that's all I'm recording. What are you on about? <laughs> can I, can I, can I don't doubt it. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Phil, go on. No. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say Miss. In fact, no, I don't want you to go on. <laughs> no, sorry, go on. So you're saying Miss, Phil. Um, <laughs> yeah. Andy, I'm guessing you kind of just hated them too much. Yeah, well. they, they annoyed me a lot in that episode. They, they annoyed him so much he couldn't remember who they were initially. <laughs> yeah, it was when I described the episode, he was like, oh, yeah, I remember that episode that I must have watched very recently. Well, seeing that, it took you guys a while, so maybe not. But uh, yeah, I implore you to watch Lower Decks, not just because the pack leads are in it quite a lot, but it's just a good show. And it kind of redeems a lot of sort of silly Star Trek stuff like that, which they can use in a comedy. So um, awesome. So we have one fifth and final thing, but this is, to be honest, it's not necessarily a hit or miss. It's just a bit of fun that I wanted to point out to you because you're probably going to say hit because it's just cool. Um, but there's an Easter egg in Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2. Oh, is it one? I'm, I forget. The episode is The Neutral Zone. I can't remember which season it comes in. Um, but basically, uh, they find a bunch of people who were cryogenically frozen in the 21st century, I believe, um, and then start looking up their kind of family trees. And oh. in the original version of the Next Generation episode, you see a screen with their family tree on, but it's too sort of in the background to be legible until they redid it for EHD. And then they changed all the names. But um, this is a long story, but it's going somewhere. But in the initial... Oh, that is so far too small to see. But trust me, in the initial version of the episode, you can just make out on the screen that the first six names on her family tree are William Hartnell, Patrick Troughton, John Pertwee, oh, Tom Baker, really Alan cool. Baker... Peter Davidson, which they got wrong, and Colin Baker. Um, so the question to you guys is this. Claire Raymond's descendants, since we're doing time travel, would you say they're a hit or a miss? Ooh, what do you think, Andy? <laughs> no, they're, they're, yeah, def definitely a hit. They're the doctors, of course, they're a hit. The first yeah, six. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a wonderful little Easter egg. That, that's a hit. That's great. Yeah, you can find a better quality. Obviously, the image is tiny on our screen, but if you can find it, you can clearly make out. Because you can even see they've misspelled Davison as Davidson. On the I think actual... I remember that episode as well. You mentioned the cryogenically frozen people. I'm like, oh, no, no, that one rings a bell. Yeah, it's. I think it might be the end of season one. Maybe that's why I'm getting it confused with season two. But yeah, it's just kind of... I was uh, looking it up because I knew that like you guys were Doctor Who fans and... Uh, I think I might have been looking it up even for Will's episode, but we decided to scrap the hit on this, and I was like, I wonder if there's any, other than, like, comic books and spin-off, is there any kind of crossover between Doctor Who and Star Trek? And then found this Easter egg, which I did know about, but it's always just, like, it, it was in the back of my memory somewhere, and then I saw the image and was like, oh, yeah! And secretly hoped that they'd kept it on the HD release, but they haven't. They've changed it to a, just a much more sensible bunch of, like, uh, people that worked on the show's names or something. I was like, oh, boo! You should have just kept it as the first six Doctors. What's wrong with that? But, uh, yeah. anyway, if, I, I think if, it's if anything, they should have also included the best Doctor, Sylvester McCoy. Yes. Well, at this point, because um, I did read why he's not in it, and it's uh, at this point it was 1989? Seven... Um, so McCoy had been announced as being the Doctor, and I think his first series had aired in the UK, but not in the US, not which the is US. why he's not on the list. So it's like they, they were just too early to get McCoy in there. Um, yeah, awesome. <laughs> so uh, that'll conclude the hit or miss. It's been relatively, I think, other than that sort of one next-gen time travel episode, it's been quite positive. Uh, so what we're going to do now, unless there's any objections, is to move on to my next section. Um, yeah, so I'm going to start with a little bit of behind-the-scenes info. Uh, and first of all, I will tell you that we are going to 
begin analysis. <laughs> analysis. Ooh, ah, look at the shiny image. So, yeah, um, just to give it a little bit of interest so it's not just me droning on. Check it out, we have music now, and I really hope this works and doesn't drown me out or interfere with the edit. So, <clears throat> the next gen episode, Times Arrow Parts 1 and 2, are the concluding episode of Season 5 and the first episode of Season 6 of Next Generation. Uh, throughout Season 5, the writing staff had considered a story where Data has to pass himself off as humanoid on a planet for a lengthy period of time. They weren't able to make it work as they couldn't come up with a plausible reason why the Enterprise wouldn't just come back. Uh, the idea was finally used when somebody suggested time travel, which is why we're here, of course. Uh, the writer Joe Minoski suggest suggested involving Guinan, which intrigued writer Michael Piller, who remembered, I said, if she was alive, what if that's where she met everybody? And what if that's where the relationship with the Star Trek group started and she met Picard? Ultimately, that's where Picard helped her out of trouble back then, and she came back to find him before he met her, knowing she was going to be on the Enterprise to complete the circle, and oh no, I've just gone cross-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the actor Mark Alamo's final appearance in Next Generation, but not the first. He had previously appeared as a, I believe, Salier is the name of the dog-like alien, and as a Cardassian. He would later go on to, of course, as much greater fame. He would go on to much more renowned fame as the Cardassian Gold Ducat in Deep Space Nine. Uh, no, not not one of the Jenners. No. I'm afraid. Was it Kim? <laughs> no, no. Oh no. I'm going to have so much fun when I get to bloody DS9 with him, aren't I? We were keeping up with the Cardassians, <laughs> not the Kardashians. I'd rather watch that. The actor Jerry Hardin appears in these episodes as uh, Samuel Clemens, aka Mark Twain. Uh, he is a fairly well-renowned actor. He uh, was the father of the actress Melora Hardin, who you may know from The Rocketeer and who played Jan in the American version of The Office. Um, I didn't put two and two together for a long time that they're related, even though they have the same surname. Um, he's been in other episodes of Trek as well, Jerry Hardin, and he's most famous for playing the role of Deep Throat in the first couple of seasons of The X-Files, um, which that's where I knew him from. Jerry Hardin so enjoyed playing Mark Twain that he created his own one-man show about him unbelievably enough. Um, as I was watching the episode, it occurred to me that given that the Enterprise crew travels back in time and meets a famous historical figure, this is actually a very Doctor Who-esque episode, which hasn't yeah, been established. Isn't the, isn't the reason why I sort of gave it to you guys to watch. That was because I knew it was a Guinan-based episode and stuff. But um, yeah, it's weird how that worked out. <laughs> um, but yeah, and uh, the uh, ooh, let's see, Rene Echevarria from the production remembered, we basically boxed ourselves into a corner with part one and it prompted very hilarious arguments about time travel and how it worked, which me and Phil are about to get into any second, um, <laughs> with uh, phrases like, that's not how time travel works, you idiot, huge accusations and people falling back on primary sources like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, <laughs> saying things like, that's the way it works, you can go meet yourself and all sorts of preposterous stuff. <laughs> I wish I'd been in that room. Um, the <laughs> that, that actor Alexander, <laughs> indeed, the actor Alexander Emberg, who plays the reporter in part two, is the son of Jerry Taylor, who is the producer and writer of that episode. So nepotism. <laughs> but he did later play the Vulcan character of Torik in the Next Gen episode Lower Decks, and the recurring Vulcan character of Vorik on Star Trek Voyager for several years. Um, in the Next Gen episode Booby Trap, Guinan tells Don't. <laughs> tells Jodie LaForge. So we've got Deep Throat and Booby Trap. <laughs> I brought that on myself, didn't I? <laughs> so yeah, in Booby Trap, Guinan tells Jodie LaForge that she's attracted to bald men because long ago one was very kind to her. In the episode Ends in Row, Guinan tells Ro Aaron that an old man helped her out when she was in serious trouble. Both references are seen here when Picard saves her life in the 19th century. So, there you go. 
So then the elephant in the room before we get on to actually talking about the episode. Phil, you've seen Star Trek Picard Season 2, haven't you? Yeah, I was about to say, they, they studied that needle quite well and then Picard happened. Yeah. Um, we've discussed, well, we, we sort of brought up that there's a couple of things that, one thing that annoys me because people don't understand why it is the way it is and yet, it makes sense, and one thing that doesn't really make sense. But I'm going to throw it over to you and ask if you what your issues are with the the time travel with the Star Trek Picard season two and how it kind of clashes with Time Zero. Well, the the first issue. Uh, the, the, oh dear. Um, <laughs> the the first issue, the the big the big one is it just sort of retcons. Uh, Guinan and Picard meeting because that's the one I don't have an issue with because it's explained really well and I can't understand why people are struggling to get their head around it. <laughs> the, the, the other one is that Guinan looks completely different. Yeah, the idea uh, of casting uh, this, uh, this yeah. happens in like the 1800s, uh, yeah. Times Arrow, and then we've got it like 2000. 15 2025 20, 20, 20, it's just a few years so 2025 i think something like that yeah 2025 um, i knew there was a five in there somewhere uh, but it's like more, more or less modern day um yeah. 21st century and Guinan looks like she's in like a, a late 20s or 30s or something like that yeah um, they, the actress did a fantastic job but it's just really yeah, weird she, she was a great actress she was wonderful she did the role really well mm. but and like the I, I can understand why they went down the route they did because they had Whoopi Goldberg appear in yes. like other episodes, sort of bookending the series. Yeah. Um, and obviously, she's a bit older than she was when she first appeared in Next Gen. Yeah, I don't think we needed the line that was just dropped like an anvil in there to explain her aging either, which kind of made me a bit uncomfortable when because Picard points out like you shouldn't age. We've known you've been around for centuries, and she's like, oh, I like to. Uh, our species can just fake it, and I like to make myself look a bit older so people aren't uncomfortable around me. And I was like, since when? That's just nonsense. Just, Whoopi Goldberg's older. We can accept it. We're a mature yeah, we, audience. You know? we, we can accept that. Just that <laughs> like we can kind of accept you know, Q making himself... That that one works a bit better with yeah. Q making himself sort of match Picard's age. Sort of like yeah, how and they did do the age. kind of CGI younger version for like two seconds beforehand. So it's like, oh, yeah. all right, okay, cool. But the um, yeah, the like, they, they, surely they could have just done some sort of CG whoopee in that case. That's what I said, and people were having a real go at me on Twitter at the time because I was like, "Well, why wouldn't you just de-age Whoopi Goldberg if you were if your argument is well, yes, but she was younger in Times Arrow because we filmed it, you know, decades ago." Uh, then the point would be, as I said, like, well, then just DH would be Goldberg. Why? Yeah. Not that I want to take a role away from the actress, because like I said, she was fantastic and she played it really well. But oh yeah, it just it's so jarring now when, as you said, you look at Times Arrow, which is like in the 1800s, she looked like a young Whoopi Goldberg. In 2025, she looks like a completely different actress. Completely and then by 24th century, she looks like Whoopi Goldberg again, which is just. Uh, but you know, they, they like it's 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 um. It's kind of species. They like to play around with people. Yeah, true. <laughs> but no, I'm going to try and attempt to explain to you, Phil, and thus the audience, uh, why it makes sense that the meeting in Times Arrow didn't happen in Picard Season 2. Uh, and spoilers for Picard Season 2, if anyone hasn't seen it, Andy, you might want to just <laughs> close your ears for a few minutes. So um, the, crux, the crux of Picard Season 2 is that Q has created basically an 
alternate timeline in which everything's bad and the Federation are evil. Um, so it's not the same timeline that we know. And the events of the next generation have occurred in a, in a manner of speaking, but like the Enterprise is a massive warship that destroys worlds and Picard is a fearsome general with like Cardassian and Ferengi skulls and stuff all over the place. Um, so it makes sense that logically in that version of the universe, the Enterprise wouldn't have went to Davidia 2 and had the starting point of actually going back to meet Guinan in the 19th century. So okay, in, yeah, this, no, that makes sense. The, in the, this the version of the timeline, yeah. More of a sort of <laughs> yesterday's Enterprise kind of warship. Yes, I understand yeah. that. A lot of people were sort of atting the writers on Twitter and stuff and shouting at them and being like, you forgot the episode Time's Arrow. Guinan would recognize Picard from the 19th century. And it was like, well, no, because in this timeline, Guinan wouldn't have met Picard in the 19th century because Picard in the 24th century would never have gone back there in the first place. So it does make a kind of sense um, okay, yeah, as much no, as these that, time travel things can. You know? Yeah, that, <laughs> um, that, that, I, can, I can see through that now. That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, See, you it just need an expert like Mike to guide you. <laughs> it doesn't hold up to a lot of scrutiny because then you have to ask how Picard doing something in 2025 would reset the timeline back if it's so. <laughs> but, you know, time travel and nonsense. And like I said, at the end of the season, it gets into like, well, clearly, Dynan would have remembered meeting him in 2025. And they just have Whoopi say, yeah, I did, but I knew you had to come to it yourself. So I knew you'd get there eventually. And it's like, oh, all right, okay. <laughs> Never mind all those people that died in the mission or whatever. But, you know, well, it's got there on your own. In the end, like the whole of season two can just be summed up as Hugh was dicking around. <laughs> Sadly, that's very true. <laughs> it's just just Q. There we go. Yeah. Mm. And that and then it, of course it, it ends with your your favorite bit with, oh. with the Borg Queen. So we've we've got that to look forward to possibly going forward in this uh, Picard series three. So yeah. We are going to move on now into our uh, deeper exploration of some of the things in the episode. Um, it's just free form, so it's not really chronological, but I do have my notes breaking into broken down, I should say, into categories like writing or plot, directing, acting, music and sounds, and then just general other. Uh, and we conclude always with our favourite character moment and line, which I should probably have forewarned you about, but get thinking about that just in case. I already have my favourite character moment. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so, so it became very apparent um, who was going to be his favourite character, at least. I'm not too sure about your favourite moment. But I, I know, know my favourite moment, but I also have my favourite character. Yeah, I'm character moment in line. Um, there's a lot of them. I, I could easily just have made a page with quotable great lines, but I, I won't bore the audience with that. And then, obviously, we um, will go to the audience interaction section at that point. Uh, I've got a few things uh, from people who on Twitter who replied. We actually had feedback this week, so look forward to that audience. And then we will give our conclusions and our scores out of five Starfleet Delta next-gen com badges <laughs> for this episode. So um, before I jump in with anything then, the first section I have here is writing and just general plotting. Uh, so did you guys have any thoughts on that before I jump in with my notes that, uh, that I can just cross off and not talk about? Uh, I just I thoroughly enjoyed it, to be honest. Okay. okay. Um. The only, I mean, I had two gripes with the episode, but I don't think they really fall into writing, so I'm yeah. happy to leave those for now. Okay, okay, fair enough. And what about you, Phil? Um, this is the moment where my mind decides to leave me. Uh, <laughs> have I... we found a copy of your head in a cave? <laughs> <laughs> you have. It's just there, and the uh, 
no, the, the, there's, there's iron filings just falling out of it. Um, <laughs> it's a message from Picard. Don't fire. <laughs> I knew there was something that was itching back there. Crikey. Um, I, I, oh, sorry. Oh, oh, no, oh, I, just, I just go had on, one. Go on. No, I was just going to say, I, I was trying to work out while watching it what Doctor Who episode this reminded me of. And I finally mm. worked out it is Under the Water Before the Flood. In a under way, lake. under the lake before I always say it's under the water, it's under the lake, it, but it's the way that they because oh, the time of the, yeah, the messaging thing, yeah, the sort of bootstrap paradox yes. of like they find Data's head so they know he's gonna die, but the reason they find Data's head is because they like, to go then there. he went and dies, but then Picard left the message in the head, which is kind That's, of what he did yeah. with the coffin and the words, and yeah, I That's just kind of made that that's the thing about this episode that I wanted to bring up because it kind of does my head in. Like, like in the words of Captain Janeway, the past is the future, the future is the past. It all gives me a headache. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, there's definitely a bootstrap paradox in this. But yeah, there has to I be. Like, I like, but I understand some I, people don't. I can't. I found really... this less egregious than some other examples of, of oh, paradox. Yeah. Um, I'm it's... fine with them. Um... Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Phil. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, I apparently can't do words at the moment. Um, so. Please interrupt me. Uh, I'm but... kind of fine with the idea that, um, like, as, as I was watching part two, I was like, so they know to go to look for this specific cave because they found the cave in the future. But that was actually the start of events. So, like, I'm kind of fine with that. But where I always have an issue with these kinds of time travel stories and what might be the reason why time travel into the past is impossible is, like, at one point or for quite a while, there are two of Data's head. And it's the same thing. And I was just kind of like, this is this is doing my head in. How can two things occupy the same space? But it's the same thing. I just, ah, it's, it's messing with my brain. You know? but, Don't worry um, about it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, the Austin Powers argument. In the words of Basil <laughs> Exposition, I advise you just to not worry about this kind of thing and have fun. Yeah, <laughs> have fun. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I... I... As I've mentioned, this is um, uh, normally I'm an absolute ass for paradoxes. Like this doesn't make sense, but this is one example where she said, "Okay, they're, they're very clearly signposted at the beginning. Like this is like Data's head is here; it's in the cave, uh, yeah. and then we're going to go on this journey to finding out how his head gets detached and blah blah blah. And it it, it comes full circle quite nicely. It can it does." Sort of, yeah, it, it was very obvious how the episode was going to tie itself up, but I don't think that's a detriment. By you say sense. that, but upon my research for this episode, I discovered that it has two completely different writers, and part one was written without any consideration as to what part two was going to be. It wow, was really? <laughs> yep, it was just basically, here's your setup, best well, of luck. Which, to be fair, they, did, they did quite a good job tying it up then. Absolutely. I think I can't remember. I think it was Jerry Taylor and maybe Joe Minoski who wrote part two. Fantastic job considering can you imagine being given that part one and told, right, now make it all fit together. Yes, right. <laughs> this is uh, this is your job oh. now. Good luck. <laughs> I'm gonna bring up one of my gripes now because it kind of ties into what you're saying. Hmm. When I saw that this was a finale and then an opener of two yeah. different series, I was expecting it to be a lot bigger, I'm not gonna lie. Oh, was that was one of yeah. That's, I was I, expecting I, best of both worlds level shit. Like, I, I, I made we're that have this um, massive cliffhanger, and yeah. then it just kind of didn't happen. Okay, actually, yeah, actually, yeah that's a, that's a good point. When it got to the end, 
of part one. It was just like, okay, we're just ending there. It's yeah. a good job we're going into part two and not having to wait for the next series. Yeah, exactly. exactly I was, the way yeah. it ended, I was kind of like, really? They made people wait an entire God knows how long to get the next part of that? That didn't really end very climactically because it was so obvious they were going to go back in time. So that was one, yeah, of my big, I... one of my biggest gripes was just the placement of it in the season. It would have worked so much better as a mid-season story, I think. I have an explanation as to kind of why it is what it is, but I, I will bring up now because it's a little further in my notes, but like I said, we don't go chronological. So yeah, I made the same note, which is that the cliffhanger ending isn't a cliffhanger. It's incredibly anticlimactic. It's basically our heroes walk through a door. End yeah. of episode. Yeah. And it's a stopgap. Is that it? <laughs> what the, where's the, like, the, the first law of writing these things is like build up to an epic, like, oh, we have to come in and see what happens next. And other than the fact of they're going to the past, which is like, well, and? We don't even see anything. And then when it gets to part two, they've completely cut any references to like how they got there, how they fit in, how they got the clothes and jobs and everything. I was like, Yeah, oh, I know. Just, just, they, they literally just cut to them, oh well, they've assimilated in 19th century America. It's like, yeah. okay. And I meant to believe that this just happened. That that was exactly. a, a point that sort of drew me out. It's like, okay, they're all here. That's cool. Is that and it took me a while for just when they were speaking to the uh, the landlady of the boarding house, is that okay? They're posing as like actors or something. Is that... Yeah, but that's the thing. If they had just been posing as actors and they were like fleecing that poor landlady who was brilliant comic relief, by the way, um, yes. that would be fair enough. But, like, and I can even kind of get on board. I can understand. Yes, Beverly probably would have been able to get a job as a nurse because she's medical. I literally and... made that exact same yeah. comment when we watched it. I was like, okay, didn't I? Bill? I just turned around and went, okay, makes sense. She's, she's, she's a doctor. A that makes sense, yeah. Well, she's a nurse because you couldn't really be a female doctor yeah. in the 19th century. Yeah, that's, so. what, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. She's a medical officer, so it makes sense yeah. that she could get that job. Absolutely. And that's nice because that ties into the bifocals, which I took me about three times watching as a youth before I realized that. Because you know how they mentioned in part one, they found a watch, some period bifocals. A watch, bifocals a and the bifocals, and yeah. Bother. But yeah, the bifocals are actually crushes. <laughs> I was like, oh, dang. That's right. They're part of a disguise. So, but yeah. Um, so, yeah, that all makes sense. But what I'm totally confused by is Riker posing as a cop successfully for a surprisingly long time. Like, he's got the yeah, uniform. Yeah, that was kind of hard to believe. Like, fair enough, he's not actually a cop because he gets found out later. And, oh, sorry, I have the utmost respect for the law, which is funny. And then not. And then he else. just and I was like, palms the guy in the <laughs> face. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. But at the same time, it's like, well, how did you get the uniform then? Do you know what I mean? Is that just an unconscious policeman lying somewhere in an alley in the 19th century? Like, I'm not telling anybody about this. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. Riker is secretly a member of the Assassin's Order. He went full Assassin's Creed on this. He <laughs> found a poor policeman. He's stripped him bare. Threw him into a hay bale. Called to an as eagle. He, as he screamed, Blue Lives Matter and just palmed a whole <laughs> team. That was the other note that I may as well bring up now because it's just popped into my head. I've just written down. But yeah, how often... There's, so many contrivances and conveniences so the plot can happen. And the moment, like, I'm fine with Kynan saying, Picard, you've got to go because I remembered you going, so you've got to go there. But the moment Picard beamed down and he was like, Mr. Worf, beam back up to the ship. And I'm like, of course, because how the flip are you going to explain a Klingon in the 19th century? <laughs> yeah. But it's like, at the same time, as Worf rightly points out, surely the security chief is the one guy you do want with you in that situation. Like, that's well, killing so, people. I, I didn't, I didn't. Well, well, I, well. I'm sorry, go on, go on. Um, I mean, Security Chief Wolf, he's great, yeah. You've got Riker, that's fine. <laughs> but also, Riker just but whilst I understand we're going down, 
What fucking use was Diana going to be? Oh, that was another note that I brought up, which was that Marina Circus can be really good at the whole, like, having to convey the empathic abilities kind of thing. And even in the pilot, there's maybe a little bit of overacting, but when she's feeling the pain of the creature, it's like, oh, wow, this is, I fully believe you. And there's a scene in part one of this where she's, oh, like, feeling the... Wait for the bit I think it is because it made me piss myself. Yeah, it was like she's feeling the victims and it's just like, oh, no, there's a, there's so many of them. There's, like, dozens. They they all died in terror with no emotion whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was the way she went. It was the way she turned around to Riker and went, like, um, you'd have thought, as someone who does acting, and yes. has done acting for years... Naturally, the way I would have delivered this line would have been, Will, they're humans. Like this sort of realization. She just goes, Will, they're humans. She just does that. And I'm like, Where's the fucking emotion in this? I can kind of understand that. But yeah, like I said, the egregious part for me was just like, They were humans. They all died in terror. <laughs> just so wrong, I, I would say this is somewhat, this is probably the biggest Diana Troy fanboy. Yeah. I fucking love her. But what the fuck uh, was that acting choice? Yeah, just the really delivery of that line. Oh, sorry. Um, the delivery of that line, like they all died in terror, for some reason just instantly made me think of Obi-Wan in episode three. <laughs> Millions uh, of voices cried out. Uh, no, going going to Padme is that he kills younglings. Oh, <laughs> well, at least that's acted. That's a bit but of that, like... That yeah. has a bit of emotion behind it still, so yeah. even that is... It's a bit of a strange. Mm. Poor Diana. Even you can see he was trying not to piss himself laughing through the dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what did you guys think? Were, were you kind of intrigued by this mystery of, like, we found Data's head? And did you buy his explanation of, well, there's no avoiding it. It has happened. It will happen. Uh, we've kind of touched on it, but were you kind of fine with it? And were you interested enough to be like, ooh, how's this going to resolve? Or yeah, like, I, was, I was <laughs> definitely intrigued. Like, now mm. that I've picked, now that I've worked out what, Doctor Who episode it reminded me of. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that makes sense now. Because I kind of assumed it was going to be a sort of bootstrap, like, yeah. we're, like we're about to watch how Data then lost his head, but there's going to be some relevance and they're just going to reattach his head in the future. I assume that's where it was going, which yeah. obviously is where it ended up, where it did go. Um, I was I was clearly too young when I watched this for the first time because I was floored by the idea that like I was like, how are they going to get out of this? And then when they go back and it's just a casual... We have that other head. Let's attach that and see if it works. And I was like, "Oh, mind blow!" <laughs> and yet, it's so obvious when you think about. It. Of course, it is. But yeah. Speaking of that, that kind of thing, I, I was glad that they mentioned the possibility that it could have been law, um, rather than them just assuming that yes. you know, them and them in the audience would leap straight to what's Data's head because there's so many androids that look exactly like him. Like at least bring it up. So yeah, I was I was proud of that little. One minute. Oh yeah, when, when he sort off. of mentioned he went into the head and sort of explained, no, no, no these are my yeah. components. Yeah, it's like this law has a has has this inside him. I have this. I also I also really for some reason loved that Picard went. Uh, uh, he was explaining like the makeup of the, the different circuitry inside his and Law's heads. And he's like Law has a Type L. I have a Type R. And Picard just goes Type R. <laughs> it's like he's just <laughs> stunned by this. That's mm. the reason that really tickled me. Sorry, but they're not supposed to be out for another few months. <laughs> How did you get that? I'm on the waiting list. Steve Jobs. I was in off last night. Yeah. Uh, that, I, I am quite glad with how it did go because when I when I saw Data's head, I was like, okay, this is either going to go in a nice sort of time loopy circle thing, or 
it's going to be Times Squared again, and it, I'm not too mm. sure what I'm going to... Uh, but no, no, it, it went it went the nice way of a time travel episode of making sense and being rememberable, which is which is good. Yeah, I, I did yeah. I did enjoy this two parter. Um, what I was gonna say the the other gripe I had, I feel like it's it kind of works to bring it up here because obviously mm -hmm. it kind of ends up being, even though it doesn't seem like it at first, it does quite clearly end up being a very Dinan centric episode, which I love because she's yeah, my favorite really. character, but. Do they ever explain why the fuck Dinan was there in the first place? They never What's explain that in Picard season two either. They just say that like her species visits Earth because they look human, so they've been visiting for centuries and nobody knows. So don't yeah, worry the, about well, it. <laughs> the only issue, the only other issue I really had was I wanted an explanation as to why Dinan was there. I thought they were gonna reveal this whole thing that like her species had like somehow picked up on what was going on and was like, oh, I'd rather they didn't. it herself. And I was waiting for that to drop, and then it didn't, and I was like, oh. I'd okay. just rather uh, like to look at it as though Guinan's on holiday. That's basically, I mean, they say that that is as much as what's happened, and she's kind of like, she asks Data if her father sent for her, so as far as I'm concerned, she's just like, I'm going on vacation to that yeah. backward planet. Don't worry, I won't tell them I'm an alien. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll dress yeah. up all fancy, and it'll be fine. I, yeah. I want an explanation, but that was really my only other major gripe with it, is I just Fair wanted an explanation as to why Guinan was there. Um, yeah. But I, I did I did enjoy that we did essentially get to see her origin story, kind of, in a way. Yeah. And her and Picard's origin, which we didn't necessarily Yeah, more think... specifically that. Yeah. Uh, because they have like such said, an they... interesting relationship. Oh, completely. And they've been alluding to that since she came on the show. Yeah. About, you know, because there's even that big line in Best of Both Worlds about, I, I never told you how we met, but it goes beyond friendship and beyond family. And then you find out, well, of course, there's a time travel <laughs> wonkiness and everything. And I, 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 also, the, I also like that he then repeated that line back to her in the yes, cave. Yes, 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 of course. Yeah, but I do love as well that um, th th at the end of part two, it's just clever dialogue when it's like, um, oh, well, Picard, I guess I'll see you in... 500 years. Well, I'll see you in a few mm -hmm. minutes. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Yeah, the, I like the that. only other sort of, not, not even a gripe, because I'm, I'm kind of happy they didn't do this because I, I don't know how I would have felt. But in terms of like historical accuracy, it is mm. like obviously Guinan's clearly a member, like a really well respected member of society in this, like this civilization. Yeah. And I was kind of like, this is the 18th century, this is the 19th century. Would that mm. have? happened yeah yeah you kind of unfortunately you kind of have to hand wave that away because it's 19th century america america well. exactly. yeah, yeah. 19th century like, america san francisco yeah they would be kind of like why, why are you away from your slave master you yeah know what I, mean? well, I was mean, very yeah. happy to look past it because yes, quite frankly i didn't really want that to be in it but at the it's same time, I was where... kind of like, huh, okay, they didn't do that. Yeah, I, I, was, kind of... I was very happy they didn't do that, and also that nothing happened with Geordie either. Yes. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, but no, I, I like the Doctor Who explanation for that, which I think fits this perfectly, which is when, is he it tells when he's Martha, with Martha and she just goes, yeah, like, oh, just walk out like you own the place. Yeah. Walk about like you own the place and nobody will question it. And yeah, Guinan does, in fairness. She really oh, is. Oh, Guinan absolutely like... does, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so the why would anybody? She's like, clearly this well, she's clearly this like um, well regarded member of society. She's hosting fucking tea parties and has yeah, a guest exactly, list. Yeah. But having said that, there is still some pretty 
on the, on the knuckle, shall we say, racism in the episode, which I didn't love. I'm not talking about like them calling Data a Frenchman. That's vaguely amusing, I suppose. But it's like I, I was uncomfortable with like nobody notices that he's there's not just paleness. This guy is yellow. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I could have lived without the whole like the Native American carrier going, I'm going pale, pale face. Yeah. yeah, and then I was like, oh, and then them saying something like, um, I've never been fond of Asian people myself, and I was like, oh, you didn't need that line. Yeah, oh, did not. So I understand <laughs> it's set in a different time, but... Yeah. Um, okay. It's kind of surprising, because Star Trek is normally a show that I regard as being very good for diversity. Yeah, and very PC. But again, yeah. it, it is set in the 1800s. True. Yes. But again, I, I was annoyed. I was annoyed because they had those two sort of false start explanations. And then it, I think it's in part two where somebody just goes, "You know, data that albino fella." And I was like, "Yeah, that's all you needed. Just say yeah, that. Just say he's albino. I'm buying that's that. fine. <laughs> yeah. Like the reason he's got a, such a white pigment is he's an albino, and you've probably never seen one before because it's the 19th century. So as far as you know, like ah, that's an albino chap. No, move on. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, uh, um, it's 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 the 1800s in, in you know Western America. Western US, you've probably never seen an albino, let alone a Frenchman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, I did love that uh, Marco Lemo starts talking French to him as if he's going to catch him out as well. And then Data <laughs> just talks it straight. Yeah, French. French. I did like that. Because, <laughs> yeah. of course, it's Data. But um, yeah. So let's see. What's the next thing I should go into? I have a couple of big things I wanted to touch on. Uh, so well, I'll tell you what, we'll keep it more general and I'll say that. There's another thing that I have a gripe with in this episode, so I'm just going to address it to you. What did you think about the antagonists, the Davidians, in this two-part episode? Um, mm. um okay, I was going to mention this earlier, mention this at some point, so I'll just say it now. Mm. I liked the idea of of their sort of their methodology. Of being like, well, if we're gonna steal these humans for sustenance, we might as well do it in a time when they were all dying anyway. Like that was yeah, kind that's... of smart. Yeah, that's very Doctor Who villain as well. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I really liked that. However, like, we've you... literally learned nothing about them. Just linking in with Doctor Who, like that's one thing that Andy particularly really perked up at when they were like a, a little bit out of phase with reality. Oh yeah, I like that. Oh yeah, yeah, I immediately went. Oh, that's like the trickster in Sarah Jane. Yeah, they do that in Doctor Who a few times because isn't that the in the Stolen Earth? That's how he gets to the. That's um, how he. That yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, but anyway, yeah. So th that's a cool sci-fi idea. That's probably not the first time it's been used, but it's cool to, to see it. But in terms of the actual characters of the Davidians, and they, I say characters, they in, literally in did nothing. They were just there. Just, yeah, it's so weird until you've well. mentioned them again. I was just like. Oh yeah, man and woman with the snake cane. As uh, I yeah. kind of forgot they were supposed to be the like the antagonists. Was, I, I, yeah. I, I'd almost tricked myself into thinking it was just a a, a fun romp with Data yeah. in the eighteen hundreds. And I think that's the thing. That's why they kind of do suffer. So they have no characterization whatsoever. But the thing that bugs me about it is that the way that it's written is like these guys are a you know universe-ending apocalyptic type threat more or less. They are just random aliens who exist out of phase that you can't see, who have a snake that lets them time travel, which is never explained either. And yet at the end of the episode, it's just like, ah, we blew up that cave. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> but also, like, why were they even doing what they were doing? Like I said, I like yeah. the methodology. I like the logic behind let's just target them during a cholera epidemic because then no one's yeah. going to question why all these people are dying. 
Like, that's but yeah, smart. Again, but at the same again, time, the, the, it was like, yeah. we have no explanations for why they were doing it, apart from that they fed on the energy or something. And, and we, yeah. we didn't really get to have anything revealed, because like, when Picard tried to speak to the the, the, the female one, one was that, do you communicate? And it was just a lot of mumbles. No, she did talk. I don't know if your did copy she? was just... She did, but it had such a weird echo effect on it that you really have to struggle to hear. Yeah. Maybe all, she says, all she says is something like, oh, your filthy species will die, or something along those lines. It's like, um, you know, it, it doesn't give you anything. It's just like, they're, okay, they're malevolent. I, I, liked, like, the, <laughs> I, I liked the design. I liked the, the whole shot we got of, like, the energy orbs going yeah. into the, the, the weird... Forehead, orifice like in their head, as they yeah, call that it. Was, that was kind of cool, but at the same time, I was kind of like, right, okay, are we going to get anything more of these guys? Yeah, but I think and it, like, it's... and like, what the fuck is this time travel snake? Yeah, exactly. This Ophidian that they mentioned that can transform into a cane and allows them to time travel, and again, no reason. I mean, why do we even need it? Just say they can time travel, but no, we have this I, stupid thing. I also love how <laughs> they must have really not cared about what it, what this snake thing was, because they literally just took what I believe is the Latin word for, like, yeah, the Ophidian. snake genus <laughs> and just added yeah. idiot on the end. That's No, it is, because it's data that first spots it, and obviously being data, he wouldn't say a snake. He'd be like, oh, Ophidian life. Like, if he saw a bird, he would be, oh, it's avian life or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah, they do just literally explain it as well. It's a snake, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I know I know aphidiophobia is a phobia of snakes, so I worked out straight away. I was like, oh, okay, it's a weird snake thing, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but again, there's so many things that, um, because that's a, a, one of the most egregious things is the amount of coincidences. And there's so many things behind the Davidians that you, the only answer you can give is either just because or so the story can happen. So, like you said, we're not explained like why specifically humans. Like, there's so many species in the galaxy, but they specifically need to eat human mental energy. Like, is there a reason for that? Why specifically decide to go into the past when you can really go any time? Why exactly the 19th they, century? They could have gone to 2020. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. A huge pandemic. Like, oh, we can just kill man. <laughs> Obviously, they wouldn't know that at the time, but like, why? Again, why the 19th century? Other than the cholera epidemic, which is all right, fair enough, but there's been lots of. Epidemics in humans. Yeah, they could have gone for <laughs> you know, black death. They could have gone for yeah. It would yeah. Yeah. So I, I would have I would have preferred a bit more exploration. I would have preferred a bit more exploration of these species as like anything. But like you said, I feel I think you've hit the nail on the head. Is that they wanted this episode to play as more like a fun adventure type romp with an alien of the week to defeat, and yet. They have that, to be that, able that, to that, that kind of leads back into my point of it doesn't feel like it should have been a season finale. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, yeah, that's that's part of the issue as well, but um, anyway. So the don't next thing wrong, I wanted to... I, I, uh, sorry, yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that every single season finale has to be this universe-ending thing. Like, obviously, people got tired of that with Doctor Who, and that's why I appreciated when Moffat went for more toned-down finales that weren't all universe-ending. But yeah, at the same time, it's like, it, it still feels like there needs to be stakes involved. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, they, they could have easily just come up with a better cliffhanger from any other point in these, this story. Yeah. They, they, they could have done with, the Guinan reveal then, and that would have been yeah. more interesting. Yeah. They could have done I mean, the whole the revelation that this is where Picard's going to meet Guinan. That would have been a cool sort of, ooh, okay, interesting. Well, and then... Even give it, give it literally like an extra minute and make your cliffhanger what you did at the end of Act 1, but like instead of Data waking up, it's them waking up flat on the floor like, 
oh god it's the 19th century end your episode rather than just walking through door episode ends yeah (laughs) well (laughs) mike the greatest mystery you could ever do in the early 90s was what's on the other side of the door the time door But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to move on because I wanted to talk about this scene that comes up next in my notes about the writing, which is, pro- I, I was so close to having it as my favourite scene, but I can bring it up here because it's not, unfortunately, but it's very close and it's always stuck in my memory. And it's the scene of them like being, there's a, a couple of scenes together actually of them talking about like how upset they are and how Data's not being phased is annoying them. And then it's like Riker telling Troy, have you ever heard Data's description of friendship, which is from a previous episode, which is a nice callback. But I also just love that it is what it is so it's like um, he explains it as well uh over time i become accustomed to sensory input patterns and mm. i can even miss them when absent and that's oh, what yes. friendship is to him and then i was like oh it's so kind of cold of a way of putting isn't that it, what I he guess. said to him in the lift as well yeah i was that just was gonna say it, but then yeah. the, the way they sell that the callback and the actual emotion behind it is like when they're trying to explain to data like how are you not phased by this and he's like well it's gonna happen there's no point and everything and then uh, you know, he just asked, well, why are you all so emotional about it? And Riker says, we've become accustomed to your sensory input patterns. And Data just with absolute realisation goes, ah, I understand. I'm very fond of you as well. And I was just like, yeah. Aww. That was really sweet, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really sweet, bless you. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to talk about that scene because I just love it. And I said, I've always uh, remembered that from the first time I saw the episode, even though it's not really, I mean, it's the start of part one, so it's before anything's really kicked off, but just really sweet. Um Speaking of the kind of starting points of things, it's awfully just like blasé again when they just mention a convenient drop of, hmm, these aliens, they might be shapeshifters, and nobody blinks at that. Yeah. <laughs> just, like that's every day. Like, oh, well, another one of those, eh? Can look like anything. Oh, oh, pain in the ball. Shapeshifting <laughs> again? Oh, God, that's <laughs> not the uh, third one this week, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Talking about the sort of, as we were, the data's sort of definition of friendship, related to that is I really didn't, think about it and I love throughout the show like Data's quest to be human and I find it really profound when he's like no on the contrary Jordy, I find it comforting because in my desire to be human I've always been aware that I'll never achieve one thing that you've got which is mortality whereas now I know that someday I'll die and that makes me feel more connected to humanity I was like that's a powerful way of looking yeah, at it. When and you then, think, was, it, was, it jo- was it Geordie or was it Riker it must have been Geordie who then turned and said oh, I never thought of it like that yeah, I think just, it was Geordie. Uh, I think it was Geordie in um, uh, Ten Forward. Ten Forward, yeah. And um, he, he he went on to say that he'd grown accustomed to um, being used to the idea that he would outlive everyone he'd Every, come, yeah. to, come to know and love, and then he'd make yeah. new friends, like, how you, and then he'd outlive them be, as well. <laughs> how can you be fine with uh, like all your friends dying? Well, I assumed I would just make new friends, and then they would die, and I would still go on, you know? But, uh, yeah, so anyway... Um, Another slight gripe, I can't think of any examples because I haven't written them down, but my word, the techno babble in these episodes is... Oh, horrendous. yes, there's a lot of them. <laughs> there's an awful lot of, Geordie, we need to thing the thing and then reroute the thing across the secondary coupling thing, and yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's just, nope, glazed over every time, I'm afraid. Um, but yeah, and another slight pet peeve, I, I really did like this episode, I, shouldn't, I should point out, but yeah, I was trying to think of like criticisms of the writing. It's probably best not to lampshade the fact that data literally points out like this could happen anytime. It could be years from now. It could be centuries from now before I go back in time. So it's pointless, like getting all nervous about it now. And I was like, all you've done there is basically point out how convenient it is that it does actually all happen (laughs) straight away. Yeah. Right now. 
Is that this could happen? You, know, you, you might not even be around, John Luke. But oh wait, no, it's going to happen in a, in about two hours' time. Okay. Yeah, and uh, another example of the thing I said about like annoying convenience is like, um, oh, we can find these aliens. We can sort of phase ourselves to their level, but the only tech that can possibly do this happens to be in Data's head. I was like, of course it does. Until he disappears, then all of a sudden, and you then can make it. Can make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, come on, you know. Uh, so yeah, I could have maybe yeah, done he, did, a bit he did stipulate that it wouldn't be as good as what Data could do, but at the same time, I was yeah. like, eh, this is but at the same time, he was able to do it so that everyone could go. So everyone could go through it. Yeah, and it's like right, okay, sure. Yeah. Plus, I mean, the whole point of the stuff before that scene is that Picard is reluctant to let Data go down, even though that would be Starfleet protocol because he knows that, like, I don't want you going down there because this is where something could happen. And it's like, you'd think Jordy would be like, well, if you give me a bit longer. I can make something like the thing in his head so he doesn't have to come down, you know. But no, Jordy's obviously just lazy. <laughs> so never mind. Um, but yeah, so when Data arrives, obviously in the future or the in the past, sorry, um, tries to sort of assimilate himself into the culture, gets into the poker game, and Data just gives away his compadre to the uh, to the yeah. uh, I mean he didn't really have anything else to sort of use as a he didn't, but the fact that we don't see that he's won it back or anything in the poker game, I was like, he's just absolutely shattered the temporal prime directive. Yeah. People in the 19th century now have like 24th century tech that they could quite easily take apart and be like, what the heck is this? We could invent like the world's greatest transceiver or something. And I was like, damn, and let's get it back. <laughs> exactly. I get that it's gold and they would think it is valuable and, you know, it might even end up melted down or whatever, but give us something, you know. Um, but still, yeah, that's that's what I'm going to go with. He just melted it down for the raw materials. Yeah, well, that's, that's well, just, 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 the, just the shiny, so. shiny gold. That's all he wanted. But, um, rest in a, in, in a skip. It was also this isn't like a comment on the episode. It's more just my sort of personal thoughts. But I was like, it it took me a moment to get into the idea that oh yeah, at this time a dollar was worth a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, but I was just gonna say that. Like, how did you guys react to Data's? Because part of the sort of fun and the interest for me, at first at least, is that like Data's fish out of water stuff. So not only like, he's an android, but he's from the future. So he just keeps on misunderstanding things, and it's like I, <laughs> yeah. I love that they did that. You know? the, the whole sort of coughing with his hand out. Like, <laughs> oh, you should get that cough scene too. There's an epidemic. Yeah, that was wonderful. Yeah. And it was like, ah, yes, the gratuity. Yes, hands exactly. him a dollar. <laughs> Exactly. I, I quite like the part where they were like, oh, your wife's kicked you out and divorced you, eh? And he's like, no, I have no missus, or whatever it was. Yeah, it's a, oh no, I understand the uh, confusion. This is not sleepwear. <laughs> I'm a Frenchman. I am a Frenchman. Ah, okay, say no more. Like, that's just the perfect explanation. <laughs> and he only says that because a random, like, bum just happened past him as he so, goes to yeah, like, like, oh, ah, Frenchman, French. spit. <laughs> Like, yeah, I kind of like all that sort of fish out of watery type stuff, and it feeds nicely into the guest star that I'm sure we'll get to because it's very sort of Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court as well. So, yeah, I did like. I quite liked. I know we're going to get onto the main guest star, but I did quite like Jack, the hotel guy. I was just going to say, speaking about that, this is the first and only time that I've registered that um, he gives his name as Jack in part one. And again, this couldn't have been the plan because it wasn't written by the same people. But then in part two, Twain's like, um, go off and do your own thing. Do your own writing. Yes, yes, you should do it. And he's, the guy turns to him and just goes, remember the name, Jack London. And I was like, 
hang on, that rings a bell. And I looked it up on Wikipedia. Yep, Jack London, hugely famous author and travel writer and everything from around that time. Yeah. I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> so basically, Mark Twain like made this guy famous because he just wanted rid of him. <laughs> go on, go on, there you go. <laughs> go on, do it yourself, write your own book, travel the world, yeah, do anything. So, I think yeah, he's he's yeah. <laughs> Little do you know, Samuel Clemens was a renowned Jordan. I, I yeah. fucking loved Samuel Clemens. Can we just get on to him? I loved sure. him. He was so fun. He was so it's... silly. He literally I reminded me of a character that some like uh, gaming YouTubers I like play, and I fucking <laughs> loved it. Every single time he spoke, all I could think was just like saying old man phrases in like the stupid voice of like, do you have any pecans? You're a young person. Do you, do you happen to know if there's any cranberries? It was, that was literally him, and I loved him. There was, there was like, a moment I... where he was just making noises like, this is just old man noises. And yeah. It's great. He's just like, ah. <laughs> I was like, yes, I love you. I relate to you. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that myself, but I do. I fully adore the character. But I think it's just because the actor is great, and you can tell it's a great performance, and he does... Like he goes into that character, and you can see why he would eventually oh, make a one-man show. You can tell he's just having a blast with this character. So I, was yeah. I was living for Mark Twain. He was so yeah. fun. Oh, definitely, definitely. He was, like I said, a great actor, a great interpretation of that character, and like everything he said had such what seemed like gravitas and stuff behind it. So even when he's like caught just snooping, making and old he's... man noises. <laughs> but no, even when he's caught snooping, and it's like he's on the sort of back foot and he should really be thoroughly ashamed. He's like, uh, well, snooping is certainly not an activity for a gentleman, but nevertheless, the deed is done. Puff on yeah. his cigar. And I was like, <laughs> how the heck did you come out looking like you had the moral high ground there? Do you know what I mean? You, you, just... you, you couldn't help but respond to that. Is that, oh, you... You little scum, you. You. Yeah. <laughs> you. Yeah. The genie's out the bottle now. What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I loved um, him. I absolutely loved him. Yeah, completely. Um, I think I've said some of, if not most of the things about my writing. I mentioned Jack London. Um, oh, yeah. The other bit, possibly the funniest bit in the episode when Twain, like, obviously he's found out, but people are just thinking he's writing a sequel to his own time travel story. So he goes snooping around and steals a little component from Data's whatever he's making. Um hides in the cupboard and then uh, kind of like, I bet this was Twain that did this, that took this thing. And Data just goes, well, if it's true, somebody should warn him because prolonged exposure can be highly toxic. toxic and he just yeah. drops, he just drops <laughs> it in <laughs> the wardrobe. Inside the wardrobe and that's how they find him. <laughs> that's just hilarious. How do you think of just funny moments like that, you know? Then I was talking about the point when uh, Twain or Clemens ends up on the Enterprise, which is surprising. I wouldn't necessarily have went that way with part two. And again, I appreciate that the writers did. And it's very interesting that he mistakes them for conquerors at first. Like, oh, I bet you've yeah. enslaved this blue Oh, yeah, fellow I, and... I quite liked that, that when Diana was sort of like, no, 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 in our time, none of that happens. Like, yeah. poverty isn't a thing now. Yeah, I was just, just going to say, so he, he only sees, you know, this fantastic spaceship under the, the sort of, with the lens of his own time. So he's like, well, I bet you're... Federations wandering around conquering people. I bet you told that blue-skinned fellow he was going to be an equal, and it's like, no, we are all equals. We're not. He's like, oh well, then I guess only a privileged few get to live in these kinds of starships, and you don't give a dang about the poor. And it's like, no, no, there's no poverty. There hasn't been for a couple of centuries now, you know. And he's like, huh, guess it's worth giving up a cigar for after all, you know. So um, yeah, I did like that. So 
because that is kind of basically a, a perfect summation of Star Trek as a franchise, just through a character. And I was like, that is brilliant. And it's so unexpected, just randomly in the middle of this time travel romp. You know? <laughs> um, did you guys feel that way, or were you just like, hang no, on? No, I, I, I really liked that. It's that I, I thought initially it was that, oh, oh he's going to catch Jan on the back foot here. Uh, but hmm. then the way that they sort of nicely explained how humanity has uh, progressed and also got to see that through his eyes is that yes yeah that's that's nice that's nicely done exactly and for all that i was complaining about some of the conveniences i actually really like the convenient way it ties up that he's like well we can only do that go through the time portal now with one person in either direction and he's like well in that case i'll go back to where i'm supposed to be and i'll send picard back through to you and i was like to, yep, where he's supposed sense. to be he's like yeah yep. there we go everything <laughs> wraps up nicely yeah, exactly wrapped in a neat bow and we, there we are next week's episode but uh, yeah but i did like that they actually they seem to have realized i think that the aliens aren't really that much of a threat and nobody tends to understand them so they have proper third act stakes of like the enterprise is going to fire and little do they know they'll actually blow up like earth essentially in the past and then stop existing and so that's when as you alluded to earlier picard has to like put a metal filing with a binary message in data set so that when they awaken him he can sort of say, no, no, don't fire. Whatever you do, don't do it. Don't um, blow the place up, for God's sake. Like, That's cool. <laughs> it's good that they actually have, like, there is a disaster that needs to be averted rather than just ending in a sort of damn... And that they tied it wonders. into the random discovery of Data's head yeah. in a cave. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, well, I, I think I have more respect for this aliens. story now that I know it was written by two different people. Yeah. Like, the way yeah, they tied it all together is actually very impressive considering the circumstances. Definitely. And uh, I'm a sucker for any kind of emotional, powerful lines. So even though it's not really got to do with anything, I did love the conversation with Picard and Twain, where he just goes, um, I wish that time had allowed me to know you better. And Twain just responds, well, just read my books. Pretty much everything I am is in them. And I was like, oh, yes. Because so <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you would, wouldn't you? There were some really um, good lines in this. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. As I said, I could have just done a page of like quotes that were great. So when I get to the favorite like, line, I was like, that's tough to pick, you know. <laughs> but, uh, just, just going back to, I know we mentioned this earlier, but that that moment came just before the, I'll see you in a, like five hundred years. I'll see you in a few minutes. Is like, yep. So much just happens. It's just great. Yeah. Um, this again. This is just Star Trek nerdery, but I had to make a note of it that when they're beaming Picard back, they name check that it's O'Brien, even though you don't see him that beams Picard up. That's probably the last thing O'Brien did on the Enterprise because this episode was just before DS9 launched. So I was like, ah, oh, hang oh, on, shouldn't yeah. he be at DS9 by now? <laughs> you know, so. I also, just speaking of the, the, the transit beam as well, I liked, yeah. I don't know if this was intentional, but it did make me laugh. When Picard was telling Worf that he had to go back to the Enterprise and he sort of huffed before, it, and when they were like, hmm. uh, it, and they were like, Worf, go on. And it was like, Beam uh, me up, and it felt like they were referencing the beam me up Scotty thing, but like he I think was, they were. Mm. He was the like way he really says reluctant it. to say it. Yeah, the way he says it, normally in any other instance, they would say like one to beam up, two to beam up, but the yeah. way Michael Dawn stops and specifically just goes, Beam me up. I was like, Yeah, that's yeah, purposeful. That, that, that was like, That's absolutely <laughs> a reference to that. Yeah. I think so. I, I thought the same thing as I was watching. But I thought, is that just me being a Trek nerd, though? But clearly not. No, even I thought it. So. Awesome, awesome. Um, so, yeah, the last thing I have about the writing is, again, I love the way they conclude everything with Twain picking up his watch to take it back and then realizing that he can't 
because it has to be yeah. found in the future. So he just leaves it. And I was like, and of course it's a watch because time. So yeah. duh, that's the whole theme, isn't it? Um, and then again, yeah, it, the... it was quite nice seeing what the relevance of the items were. Yeah. And yeah. like how the they got they... there in the end was really cool. Yeah, it was like the, the, way the treasure uh... hunt scattered throughout the, the story. Definitely. And the fact that the end of the episode basically where they started, so the camera just pans over to Data's head lying there, ready to be discovered in a few hundred years. And uh, it's like, all right, cool, awesome. It is indeed full circle. So, but yeah. Um, and the last thing I've written is just that I thought part two was better than part one. <laughs> Even though, like I said, I'm used to watching this as one long hour and a half story. Um, Which is quite funny because I'm pretty sure I looked on the IMDb and part two is rated slightly lower than part one. That's weird. Part one seems to be very much just set up, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree that part two is better. Fair enough. Yeah, well, I, I think I mean, yeah, part two probably... has more old man noises. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Twain doesn't turn up until the end of part one, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> I've set him off now, I'm sorry. Old man noises. Um, so yeah, I have a few notes about the direction, but feel free to chime in and see if you agree, disagree, or anything that you can think of. Um, I thought it was a very interesting directorial choice not to show data going out of phase at first, so that you could just hear him, uh, but you would scan across everybody like listening to him describing them. And I was like, ah, oh, interesting. Keeps the mystery alive a little bit until we get until the others they all going do it together. Yeah, yeah. Um, brilliant scene of data awakening and the sort of slow pan out with the big like dun 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 reveal music kind of thing. This is the first time that I've realized what is a potential sly reference. So when Data's kind of taken them and fleeced them for all their money in the poker game, he goes back to the room and he's wearing a new like vest over the uniform. And I was oh, like, Phil this this that. was this was one of my favorite scenes of the entire story. I love so, that waistcoat, that vest, and then the bowler yes, yeah, hat yeah. with the feather in it. Was, <laughs> but my thought for that was, is that a sly reference by the director to the fact that he's literally taken the shirt off their off back? The back. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that why he's in that thing? Other, other yeah, than the fact that he's, just he's, silly, he's literally fleeced them. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, I thought it was a really cool first reveal of the Davidians in their human disguise. It was, you know, not really scary, but it was bordering on horror movie, the way the poor 49er was kind of, you know, you know what I mean, the guy that, ah, how about a 49er? Yeah, they, they just sort of emerged, almost sort of backlit, and they yeah. just sort of zapped him away. Yeah, I thought it was great, absolutely. And then the way that it, um, for the start of part two to get you into the credits, it's a much better cliffhanger than part one because it shows you them in their human disguise that we now know, just walking past our heroes without them blinking, and you're just like, ah, it's them! Ah! Yeah. <laughs> and that's the kind of credit sequence. And I was like, see, that would have made a better cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, again, talking about the scene of... Um, any scene with Guinan you guys are going to want to talk about, and I noted the scene where she's talking about her her drink kind of thing. I was like, oh, you've got to be precise. Or, oh, I, I loved that. Yes. I loved that we saw Guinan basically doing some bar work in a way. Yeah, but it's also a really clever metaphor. Like, she hasn't got to explicitly state it, but it's basically like, to me at least, the drink is the timeline, and the way she's explaining it is like even the slightest thing, the slightest okay. thing out of face or going wrong or whatever, yeah. and poof, the whole thing's gone. The, was, yeah, everything just <gasps> evaporates. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that is they're, genius. They're, they're explaining time travel in a way that makes sense to the majority of the, the viewers. Yeah, getting exactly. Pissed. Yeah. <laughs> getting... That might be why my mum likes parts of uh, TNG so much. <laughs> nice. Um, I absolutely adored the direction, well, basically the entirety of uh, Clemens' first scene. So it's in the party that I presume is hosted by Guinan when he's basically 
he's got them all to rapt attention and the camera follows him walking around the room as he just talks and orates at them and you never lose your attention he's just really carrying that scene and i thought it was brilliantly done yeah um, part of that scene i think is my contender for the best line which we'll, we'll come to later but i just oh, loved definitely. him just going off and just, just <laughs> yes ho He's... holding the entire audience and again the way that the writers basically they give him such great like orator speeches and they have had to presumably write it i'm guessing they weren't actual things that samuel clement said but yeah that's just like that's so good um, How do again, you know the real Samuel Clements wasn't at an audience with Madame Guinan? <laughs> well, I guess I don't really. You know? <laughs> I'd like to believe Star Trek's just a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> historical, what is it they call them? Historical events or historical something documents in Galaxy Quest when they're mistaking the, uh, the show <laughs> for being real. <laughs> we saw it in your historical documents. <laughs> Um, I like these scenes of them sort of phased and looking at the, what the Davidians are. And until I saw it in HD, I didn't realize that they actually glitter. Because like on the VHS that I used to watch this on, you couldn't make that kind of thing out. And there's a really cool glittery effect on yeah, them. I, are I, you I telling like, me oh, that these no. that they're picking Twilight vampires? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I really like the fact that my comment when that scene happened was I turned to Phil and went, well, it's, it's exactly how Data described more or less, yeah. <laughs> they have a crevasse in their head. <laughs> They're eating energy orbs with their forehead mouths. Fair. But it's it's nice and eerie and kind of off-putting. And uh, even the snake, I think, when it sort of transforms into its form, looks really cool, even though it makes, again, no sense, no sense whatsoever. Yeah. But, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't like that it never really fully explained what... Like, obviously, it was that they were, they were feeding on the people, but at the same time, it was kind of like, well... Why are they feeding it into this machine? Why aren't they feeding on it, if that makes sense? Well, they have to process it. That's the whole point. They like they, oh, okay. they, they suck it from a person, then put it into the machine to get processed into whatever those little energy balls are, and then suck it through the hole in the head. But yeah. There's a lot of sucking going on. We're back to deep throw, anyway. We are indeed. I've never smacked but the no, snake no. so hard it turned into a cane that could time travel. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why they have to include that scene of the woman who sort of shows that they are malevolent because it would be a bit of a moral dilemma if it was like, well, we need this energy to live. But instead, it has to show that they're just like, nah, you're scum and we'll eat you. Nah. <laughs> Only less jewelry, obviously. Can we just take a moment to appreciate the scene as well where they made the lady recite Midsummer Night's Dream? Because that was great. That was another one of my favourite moments. <laughs> Again, we have so found hard to... our Titania. It's so hard as well for an actual actor to act really badly. And she's so good at being terrible. Because that's the joke is that she just reads it with no emotion, just stunted as you like in Picard's like, well, we found our Titania. That uh, my favourite part of that was when she followed up by being like, well, I wasn't a production when I was a young girl. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. She was great, though. I just love from the moment she comes in going, Mr. Pickard. <laughs> yes. Good. Um, quick side note, the period costumes, makeup and hair, all outstanding. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. I think they may have won an award, but if not, they certainly deserve to. Um, I love the fact that he did kind of the opposite of Data, because initially Data was like, no, 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 you do know me. What you're right. And Picard immediately was like, you don't know me, but you will. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, because Data thought, like, as he explains, he thought she just went through the time portal yeah, and realized yeah. it was her in the past. But uh, yeah, it's cool. Um, I loved the scene where the Davidian just jumps into the scene and Data's head just blows off. 
because he grabs <laughs> the snake and I was like, what the heck? That's weirdly violent and kinetic for Star Trek, isn't it? But yeah, clever. Got everyone it's, where they needed to be. It's okay. It's an android. <laughs> um, I did like as well that they had at least one cut of Guinan cutting in the past from Guinan to Guinan on the Enterprise. I was like, you had to do it once, didn't you? Cut from Guinan to Guinan. Um, yeah, and last directing note, it's always cool when you see the way that they make it look like uh, Brent Spiner's got little circuits and stuff in his head. I'm always amazed by that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love when they have Data's head open and you can see all the circuitry inside it. Yeah. It, there's yeah. just something about that that just always looks fascinating. It's cool. It's just a weird, like, oh, my head. But anyway, um, so the next thing that I was going to talk about would be the acting. Now, I've mentioned I love the crew's responses to Data. I think that's very well acted. Um, Whoopi Goldberg is, of course, fantastic. From the sort She's of, always the very, fantastic. It's Whoopi from Goldberg. From the very first, um, the very first whispering of full circle to the fact that she adjusts the performance when she's Madame Guinan in the 19th century, completely different to Guinan, the bartender of the Enterprise. I was like, that's so subtle that it's still the same character, but yet it's, you know, two different performances and it's it's so hard to do that and differentiate that. And I thought she did a fantastic job with it. Brent Spiner is so good because, again, it hinges on him having to be so weirdly off-putting in the past and yet believable. And the key scene for this for me was just how well he fakes exerting himself because when Jack the bellhop drags in the heavy stuff and Data picks it up and he's like, what? And then Data just drops it and goes, ow. I believe I pulled the muscle or something. I I have overexerted myself. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. It's just so good. uh, I love Jack the bellhop in general. Uh, Yeah, I love all the problems. I love Mrs. Carmichael and uh, Mr. Pickard. Uh, So I have just the last few notes that I put in the other section, but it might uh, clarify some things and, uh, you know, make some things make sense in your head. So bear with, it's just a couple of things, but um, I noted that, uh, and this is all, by the way, from Memory Alpha. So, you know, if if any of it's wrong, they are the ones need fact check. (laughs) So um, Rick Bourbon and Michael Pillar, the executive producers, have originally decided not to end the fifth season with a cliffhanger, but the development of Deep Space Nine changed that. Pillar remarked, because of all the attention DS9 was getting and the rumours that Next Gen would be shutting down, we wanted to send a message that this show was alive and well and continuing to grow. So, that's so they did that by thing. having the cast walk through a fucking door. <laughs> exactly. Well yeah. It was the door into the future and the past. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe Minoski commented that the episode, quote, was a bit of a mess, but I was happy with the Mark Twain stuff. Okay. Um, as uh, as I've mentioned, as with previous two-part episodes, the first installment had been developed without any consideration of how to conclude the story. Uh, Jerry Taylor recalled of part two, this one was a nightmare. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Great job. <laughs> I mean, he did a bloody great job. And uh, yeah, Michael Pillar was pleased with the conclusion to the two-parter. Uh, quote, anytime you deal with time, you're going to have complexities that are hard to grasp. But if you really look at that closely, I think we got them all nicely stitched. Which I think we all agree, yeah. Um, For the most part, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, as well as we can. So um, we will get to our sort of favorite character moment line conclusion and everything. But uh, just to move us to the next section, uh, we are going to have some feedback from the audience that I'll read out. Um, and that is a section that, being a Trek podcast, I like to call Subspace Communications. Incoming transmission. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry, pardon me. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, Right. So, yeah, these, uh, this is feedback from various audience members on Twitter. Uh, the first one is an individual you should be very familiar with. It is at AKA Starlord, which uh, is DK, my usual co-host on the episode. Uh, he gave his thoughts and just said, 
Um, I think it's an overlooked gem, time travel, Guinan, the Davidians are a genuinely creepy race, and Jerry Harden, who gives a masterclass with his Clements slash Twain performance, what's not to love? So yeah, another fan, I think, in that one. Um, at Aaron Bossig says, in my opinion, this is the most underrated multi-part next generation there is. This is TNG at its best and Trek at its best. It's scary, it's funny, it's mysterious, it has tons of great moments, but for some reason, lots of fans dismiss it. Oh, well. Okay. Uh, at M. Louise P. says, I love it. I think it's often overlooked, but it's a well-written story with lovely data and Guinan moments, which again, obviously we agree with. Um, at Apollo Serenus says, I remember my eight-year-old little mind being so confused at finding Data's head, being creeped out by the Davidians, wondering why Data never retrieved his combat, <laughs> Thank you. and thinking they needed to hurry before the Davidians started eating more souls than history recorded. Um, Eric at Trabout says, an excellent episode. It's got drama, twists, high stakes, paradoxes, and time for some silly fun. The villains weren't well fleshed out, but it's always worth a watch. <clears throat> Brandon at Ant underscore Aoife says, I think it's weird that there are aliens with casual time travel via magic snakes that I never heard from again, but it was a good episode. <laughs> um, uh, Scott again, Hussies. don't worry about the magic space snake. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Just look elsewhere. Um, Scott Hussey says, I've always thought of it as a very well-executed, fun time travel adventure. Young Guinan, Mark Twain on the Enterprise, Data's Head, what more do you need? We should be talking more about the fact that after this episode, Data's Head is 500 years older than the rest of him. Um, to which That's I commented, point. Yeah, I commented, I know, right? I can't even get my five-year-old tablet to work. Um, Scott, <laughs> Scott chimed back, exactly. Like the fact that it worked at all was remarkable, but there definitely should have been some sort of lasting impact of some kind after that, even if it was just an excuse to let Brent Spiner look like he'd aged a little. Uh, and I finally replied, I demand the lost episode of Data standing perfectly still for a full day and every now and then just repeating, system updating. <laughs> <laughs> Just having uh, to constantly reboot. Oh, man. <laughs> Update in progress. Do not switch off your data. <laughs> um, <laughs> at Elder Alien says, I remember feeling great sorrow at the idea of dead data. Uh, that's all. Uh, at Jade All Day USA 2 says, I had a great time watching and lovingly making fun of this two-parter with my oldest friend recently who thought Samuel Clemens was a good idea. Three laughing cat emojis. Um, at Admiral Miyoko replies, who thought Samuel Clemens was a good idea? Me. He was hilarious. Um, and Jade then chimed in, I agree, but I don't think that was the intention of the writers or the production. I think that's a bit unfair. I think it probably was. I, um, I think it was the intention. He was, whether intentional or not, he, he was hilarious. And Samuel Clemens was one of the highlights of this, this entire story. Absolutely. absolutely definitely. Um, so that concludes uh, sort of the audience's responses to this episode. But yeah, we uh, have three people here who will have to give our opinions. And... Before we do the full conclusions, uh, we are going to go around the uh, general room here and ask for favourite character moment and line. So we will start with favourite character, and I'll go to you first, Andy, as a relative newbie to Trek. Who was your favourite character in the episode? Oh, probably Clemens, absolutely. Okay, so it was yeah, just Clemens. very fun. It was Clemens and Guinan. Like, I, I, it's kind of a given that I love Guinan, so like, I think yeah, Clemens is Cle Clemens was was hilarious and very very welcome comic relief while still kind of bringing an, a weird heart to the episode. What about you, Phil? Who was your favourite character in this bit? In this I think it's got to be Clemens as well. <laughs> it's that from uh, from the well, maybe not from the moment he came on because initially it was like, 
it was this weird prick. Um, but then as the episode went on, it's just like, it's right, okay. And, it's just, and then old man noises happened. And he, he, he captured my heart with old man noises. <laughs> You're easily pleased. Well, I'm going to bore the audience and uh, give it a complete hat trick and say that my favourite character was also Samuel Clemens slash Mark Twain. Um, it's how I learned of him as a youngster when I first saw this episode. Uh, and it really did pique your interest. Uh, and he does get to be the conduit, as I said, to emphasise the Star Trek optimism. And frankly, it's the best performance in this two-part episode, I think. So, yeah, I went with the same character. Um, so Which what is, is your favourite? Understandable, really. It's, Absolutely. He's bloody fantastic. <laughs> we're, so we'll switch it up and we'll ask you, Phil, what was your favourite moment in the episode? Um, That's, that's a harder one. Um, mm. I think... Just for some reason, it, it has to be the getaway in the carriage when they're all <laughs> bursting out of the hospital. All right. Data pulls up, and then they all just pile in. Um, I, 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 I really like that moment. It just It's um, a nice moment of both tension and comedic relief. Yeah. Fair enough. Awesome. And what about you, Andy? What was your favourite moment? Uh, wait, are we, oh, moment, not line. Yeah, moment yeah. first. <laughs> oh, uh, Picard and Guinan. Which time? <laughs> uh, probably in the cave. It was just yeah. a sweet moment. I I honestly can't choose between Picard and Garnon in the cave or when he's talking during the bar. Yeah, there's a lot of good scenes, I think, as well. So definitely. Uh, my favourite moment was um, just Clemens's introduction, the whole speech to the room and his banter back and forth with Garnon, uh, right the way up to him being discovered eavesdropping. I think that's just a brilliant scene <laughs> all the way through. So that's what I picked. Um, and finally, uh, switching back, Andy, what was your favourite line in the episode? Yeah. So I had a few. I really liked the line Picard said to Guinan about, you know, seeing 500 years, seeing a few minutes. That was really sweet. Yeah. Uh, sure. Guinan's description of, of the drink was really cool. There were a lot, but my absolute favourite, just because my immediate thought was, ooh, I could use that at work, was... <laughs> <laughs> when the minor guy was saying to Data, oh, I fell down a shaft, and Dana, Data just went, that is most unfortunate. <laughs> I was like, yes, I want to use that at work. <laughs> Andy, I cut myself. That is most unfortunate. <laughs> Basically, anyway. yeah. But a guy came in to complain about his fucking toast the other day that he had a few <laughs> days before he came in, and my first thought was, right, okay, cool. And now you know what to say. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's most unfortunate. So yeah, that's my favourite line, purely because it gives me that. Awesome. Fair enough. What about you, Phil? Um, I specifically looked it up because when um, when it happened, was it? I I, I quite like that. It just it's it's mainly Guinan's response to Clemens, but the, the full thing here is your suspicions, Madam Guinan, are undoubtedly based upon your keen observational skills. <laughs> now, if you'll permit me, I'll continue my character assassination unimpeded. <laughs> and then Guinan just responds, my dear Mr. Clemens, please do, please do. Please do? Yes, brilliant. And I, I, I can't remember the exact wording, but I also love it when he goes, um, one might say that, Madam Guinan, if one were to compare humanity as being akin to a precious jewel, but I would certainly not be this increasingly hypothetical one. <laughs> wow. Such a verbose way of going, man, humans suck, don't we? <laughs> Such wonderful, wonderful words. Yeah, he was really good. But no, um, my actual, as I said, that would have been a contender. The strong contender that I almost went with was the whole, um, uh, you know, we've gotten a, grown accustomed to your sensory input patterns. I'm fond of you as well. 
in the end, I had to go with just for the meaning behind it and the way that it builds up to that line, uh, the way that Clemens delivers after he learns about Starfleet and everything. Maybe that's worth giving cigars up for after all. <laughs> so, like, that oh, was a nice moment. <laughs> uh, well, we'll go through to our conclusions and our score out of five uh, Starfleet Deltas. And Andy, we'll start with you. Why not? What would you? Why? You started with me last time. Well, okay, Phil, we'll go to you first. Sorry, I, I lost track genuinely to where I went. So, Phil, what's your conclusion and score for the episode? I merely just did that to be a dick, to be honest. But also, you did go to me first last time. I, I really did forget. <laughs> okay. I, I'm sorry that we've caused you such offence by asking you to share your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Not that this was the whole point of the evening. Um, yeah. I know whose conclusion I'll be cutting in the edit, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Like he was never here. <laughs> Could it be like that episode of The Simpsons where they splice together clips to make Homer look guilty? <laughs> What's your conclusion, Andy? I thought it was shit. What the? <laughs> Andy, how could you? <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, Phil, take it. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was really good. Uh, um, Clemens, as we've mentioned multiple times now, is uh, the standout character. Yeah. Um, obviously, any episode with uh, Guinan in is also a highlight for me. She's fantastic. Um, and just getting to have a, just a fun romp with Data. It was a good episode. I'm giving it four. Four out of five. Oh, okay. Wow. Four out of five. Um, Epic. If it wasn't for the, um, the the aliens like just being kind of undeveloped monsters of the week, I'd probably give Very it higher. So, uh, Andy, are you ready to give us your conclusion and score out of five? written conclusion but i will just say right. that I, I did thoroughly enjoy the episode i'm gonna deduct a couple of points just because one like we have already said the aliens were just so underdeveloped um i also it just it just didn't feel like a finale i don't understand yeah. well I, I i kind of understand why it was now from what you've explained but i'm still sort of like that real i was expecting so much more with it being the season finale it just, it just feels like they could have done just a little bit more oh. just to make it feel a little bit more I mean, we've uh, mentioned impactful. like three or four places that would make a better ending oh yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, but apart from that, and the fact that I personally didn't like that there wasn't an explanation for Guinan being there, even though it doesn't really affect the episode too much, uh, I'm still only deducting 0.5. I'm still giving it four and a half. Wow, epic! Like, okay. I, I don't think I think I gave yesterday's Enterprise a five, and I stand by that. I don't think it was quite as yeah. good as yesterday's Enterprise, but like oh, yeah. as a time travel that. story that as a time travel <laughs> story that does a really good job tying up all of its plot points for the most part. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. and also. Yeah just being extremely enjoyable in the process like can't really fault it so yeah i'm glad you enjoyed it that's good because well probably it isn't the first time that you've uh, you've ever seen it but because uh, i would assume or was it the first time you've seen it actually because it's first time i'd seen it yeah oh yeah well, it would have to be because you haven't reached that yet okay cool fair enough um let me just get my conclusion up. Uh, what I said then was uh, bread and butter Star Trek, an interesting mystery, exceptional character writing and acting, a peppering of good humorous moments and a reinforcing of all the key themes of the franchise, coupled with a contender for the series' best guest performance and just a great sense of fun and adventure. Uh, part one was a bit slow and all seemed clearly like set up to me, but part two makes up for it to make the overall story play out well. Uh, and I mainly saw it as one story, as I've mentioned, thanks to having the video collection. Uh, if I'm being critical, there are way too many convenient block contrivances just to allow the story to happen. And there's the matter of the Davidians appearing once very undeveloped and ultimately seeming more like a plot device than any kind of character or real threat, uh, although too much of the latter might take away from the fun. 
This is most definitely an adventure, a romp, as Phil said. It's a, it's what I call comfort blanket trek, the sort of story you watch with a smile when you need to pick me up or some hope for the future. It's never going to top anyone's best episode lists, but it's still a slightly underappreciated little gem. Quotable, memorable, funny, enjoyable, and at times surprisingly poignant. Uh, and I gave it four out of five uh, as well as Phil. So makes the average overall for the podcast 4.16666 occurring. Um, so yeah, let's just call it 4.2. And we'll round it up and say 4.2 out of 5 for Times Arrow. Very blooming good score, it turns out. And I'm, I'm very pleased that you, especially you, Andy, as a first-time viewer, enjoyed it and uh, had a good time and plenty to talk about. So I've really It was very fun. It was really, really enjoyable. Definitely, like, it definitely. wasn't until after it was done, because um, like because we watched it on Netflix, and it just went into the next episode. I didn't even think to turn it off, and I was like, oh, yeah, wait, no, 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 no. we need to get set up now. <laughs> I, I was just going to keep watching. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's always nice talking Star Trek with anybody, but you guys are fun to just record any old podcast with, obviously. So, uh, And speaking of which, did you want to tell people where to find you and your own podcast on the internet? <laughs> Uh, well, you can find us in Sheffield. Um, <laughs> I did say on the internet, Andy. <laughs> um, uh, no. <laughs> no. No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, can, uh, you can find us, all, uh, me and Phil specifically, both together on We Pay For Your Floor, which is at WorkFuff on Twitter, and We Pay For Your Floor on Instagram, and now on TikTok. Oh, because we're down with the kids. The kids. <laughs> <laughs> we are, even though I'm only 26, I really do feel like I'm turning into that meme of Steve Buscemi going, hello, fellow kids. <laughs> I think I feel I turned 40 a few weeks ago. But, well, I remember yeah. I sent you a birthday message. You did. Thank you. I, I always remember <laughs> yeah. what your birthday is. Also, there, there was a third member of the team who unfortunately couldn't make it today for our recording. She was invited, but you can find her at Confused Sarah, I believe, on Twitter. Yes, that is um, her Twitter. Uh, that, also... that is her Twitter and just her in regular life. Yes, really. it's very accurate to her in real life. She's a very confused woman. But also, we love her all the same. As Andy says, it's at WPY... No, hang on. Uh, this is why he says WPFYF or whatever. WPFYF. We always just Twitter. call it WPFYF now. <laughs> well, whatever and, uh, we yeah, pay you... for your floor initialises to. <laughs> exactly. WPFYF. Indeed, that's I'll right. I'll take your and, word for uh, it. Yeah, just look up uh, We Pay For Your Floor on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And really, you should. It's a fantastic listen. It's just entertaining. Uh, if you We, we would this, recommend watching yeah. it on YouTube just because Phil yeah. has a lot of great video edits. But if you just want to listen, it is on Spotify. It's and... on Spotify, mm -hmm. uh, Amazon, Apple yeah. Playlist. Apple, Hair Apple, music, all that kind Google. of shit. Oh, it's on all the, like, all the regular. Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you want to see us discuss uh, Whoopi Goldberg from this episode, no less, uh, you can catch my first appearance on We Pay For Your Floor. Uh, there are three episodes up, as we've said, with me on as well. So if you've enjoyed this, check those out. And, yes, uh, and if you search for episode 40, 41 and 42, you can catch Mike despairing oh. as we put him through the rigmarole of three We Pay For Your Floor I, episodes. I Thoroughly enjoyed it, and I've just now realised that my final appearance was episode 42, which is perfect. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I only realised when I started editing the, the trilogy that we'd done, is that because afterwards we said we should get you on for episode 42, and I started editing it, and I was like, we've gotten you on for episode 42. <laughs> that works out quite nicely. Awesome. Mostly um, harmless. That's you me. can also catch us with Mike if you're interested um, uh, our review of Yesterday's Enterprise within the previous season. 
Yes, it was. Uh, that was actually it was the first season because we were just doing random episodes. The second season was all Borg and artificial intelligence, which you guys weren't on. Uh, but now you've come back to do this time travel episode, so that's Yay. awesome. Find uh, all of those things. And uh, Phil, did you give us your Twitter handle yet? Um, uh, well, I didn't even know my Twitter handle. I just realised. Okay, go okay. on. Uh, I'm just Andy Kemp, 1996 on on Twitter. Um, I also stream on Twitch very occasionally now because I work. Um, that sounds like a dig. It wasn't <laughs> because I have gainful employment. How dare I? No, it's just exactly. I don't have time to stream much anymore because I'm working. You've but got I to tell old ladies that you can't have tea cake. It's, it's oh, yeah, I occasionally stream on Twitch at Kemp Plays. I'm also on other socials as Kemp Plays because that was when I was trying to start streaming and trying to do it as a thing, which never happened. But yeah, there you go. That's me. Awesome, brilliant. And I am at Crazy Pilf here, there, and everywhere. I occasionally make um, random images of utter nonsense on Twitter uh, that I'll just post and sell it to the internet for the amusement of no one. Uh, like the uh, the the the, uh, the corn frakes uh, image <laughs> that I sent you a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Yes. I, I'm, I'm also very fond of I'm very fond of Aggie from Kim and Aggie becoming an android. That's one of my favorites you've ever done. That, I, I, I was in the kitchen. I I saw a box of cornflakes, and I just had this realization. I was like, I need to make this, and I need to send it to Mike now. <laughs> and you sent me it for my birthday. Whether it was intentional or not, that's when it came to me. And I was like, oh, this is a great birthday gift. Yeah. Jonathan Flakes. Cornflakes. <laughs> I, I make that random crap. Or if you look, if you want to look on my YouTube channel, uh, there's even more random nonsense that no one should ever really look at. Oh, Mariah Carey as a gopher is iconic. Okay, there's a there's there's a playlist of recommended nonsense. Um, Mariah Carey as a gopher is one of the few things I will stand by. Is like, that's my magnum opus. That and the singing octopus <laughs> that just flashes in time with green sleeves. Yeah, it's it's yeah. You are the modern day Vic Reeves. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> we should say. Yeah, awesome. That's great. Well, uh, do come back, uh, viewer slash listener, if you are still here with us. Well done. So do come back to us next week when we continue our time travel themed series. We're looking at the Deep Space Nine episode, The Visitor, uh, and we're going to be joined by special guest Dominic J.G. Martin. Yay! Uh, Yay! <laughs> yes, a popular person around the internet community. Uh, so we look forward to that. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, it means for me to say thank you so much again to my guests, Andy and Phil. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you again, as always. Don't and, uh, lie. Yeah. <laughs> I've really Thank enjoyed you for it. Actually, us. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, we will talk again soon. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, listeners, remember we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash Timeless Journey. The Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast is based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templar. 
Follow the podcast on Twitter at Hometrack, on Instagram at Home Star Trek Podcast, or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.